welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts, Carol, Matt, Mel, and we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. And joining us for this episode, our emergency guest, please welcome back to the show for her second appearance, Nuchas. Hello. Hey. I'm a newbie too. Yay. Yay. Emergency guest alarm. <laughs> Do we have a glass case that we break in yep. case? I think we just got more. <laughs> we should. So. Oh, okay. I, I didn't remember. Maybe we didn't. Are you, are you right with us or have you? Mm-hmm. I am right with you. I, I watched ahead oh. to this episode because I wasn't sure if you guys were recording this weekend or last weekend. And I was at Balticon last weekend. So I watched ahead. I sent him my feedback, and then I saw you needed a um, you needed a guest, and I was like, "Well, I can do that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So there's there's feedback and me. <laughs> cool. Our guest was supposed to be Claire, uh, but she only shows up to podcasts about masked superheroes uh. or the X Files because she loves Fox Mulder. it's true he's her favorite character i'm gonna vote for that (laughs) she loves fox Mulder. she hates crychak she hates skinner (laughs) yeah and kirsch skinner's not a bad oh she hates kirsch (laughs) she doesn't think he's a badass she likes x-files way better than millennium yeah oh yes she does and and she likes um david duchovny as much as she hates uh charlie cox as murdoch clearly yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, she well she can't stand Daredevil as a, oh, as she, a show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I say she loves masked superheroes, I'm excluding Daredevil. Yes, of <laughs> course. She's all about DC. We know that. Big <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> DC hates Marvel. Okay. So that's who's not here. That's who's <laughs> <laughs> All right. We do have a Reader's Theater today. Right. I thought this was kind of related to the fact that we have a couple characters who show up drunk. Well, I mean, it's Deadwood. There's usually a drunk or two. But we had some drunk Jane and some drunk Farnham. So I have uh, some narration from Chris. Two articles. Actually, they're both both very brief and related. Drunk Chris? Drunk Chris from England. He's drunk. (laughs) The Drunkard. August 27th, 1877. From the Black Hills Daily Times. Of all the miserable and contemptible beings on God's green earth, a drunkard is the most despicable, the most loathsome, an eyesore to the community, and a disgrace to his family and friends. Down! Why, he's not fit to wallow with the hogs. A fool, yes, one of the lowest type. Insignificant! He is the little end of nothing, whittled down to a point. A laughing stock in society, ridiculed by his inferiors, and shunned by his most intimate friends. If married, his poor wife and children are the only ones that cling to him. May God have mercy on him, and the young and rising generation take warning and avoid that accursed cup that has brought him down beneath the brute. There are a number of good, intelligent men and promising youths in Deadwood today, who, unless they stop short in their career, will soon fill the drunkard's grave. My friends, take warning ere it is too late. Touch not the cup, touch it not. He couldn't drink wine. August 21st, 1877, from the Black Hills Daily Times. There was a noble youth who, of being urged to take wine at the table of a famous statesman in Washington, had the moral courage to refuse. He was a poor young man, just beginning the struggle of life. He brought letters to the great statesman who kindly invited him to dinner. 
Not take a glass of wine, said the great statesman in wonder and surprises. Not one single glass of wine, echoed the statesman's beautiful and fascinating wife, as she arose, glass in hand, and with a grace that would have charmed an anchorite, endeavoured to press it upon him. No, replied the heroic youth, resolutely repelling the preferred glass. What a picture of moral grandeur was that! A poor, friendless youth, refusing wine at the table of a wealthy and famous statesman, even though preferred by the hands of a beautiful lady. No, said the noble young man, his voice trembling a little, and his cheek flushed. I never drink wine. But then he straightened himself up, and his voice grew firmer. If you've got a little good old rye whiskey, I don't mind trying a snifter. <laughs> Uh, he comes with his own guitar sting. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And it's, I, I know it's historical, so it makes sense, but it's right in the teetotaler movement, like just as it's starting to uh, get a, a big swell and, and publicity. So that's really neat. That first one was scathing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was totally scathing. Well, I think the second one was pretty scathing, too, in a sense of, let me tell you a story, and here, this guy is so, so bold and so brazen, and so these virtuous. horrible people that dared to give him wine. <laughs> and as he's uh, narrating, I'm drinking my margaritas. <laughs> and we had a couple glasses of wine before <laughs> three three <laughs> and although a- there is that bit of I never drink wine but if you've got a little good old rye whiskey I don't mind trying <laughs> an anchorite for the kids at home is a religious recluse oh oh don't see those around I've much I've never heard of them <laughs> well, no they're they're recluse like- <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> That's why you don't see him. You hooplehead. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. And and Chris did such a great job reading it. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. I love all, all all of our contributors have been great so far. Yes. They really have. Yeah. It's it's been amazing. Right. I want to do another one and just go completely off the wall. Okay. <laughs> That's my plan. I I think I was too conservative. Drink I don't first. know if I have too many funny ones left. That's okay. I'll go off the wall anyway. Okay. <laughs> I've got one, the, an article that is about a murder trial that is so long, it could be like a six-parter. Uh, wow. Maybe you Break should. it up into segments. That's what I'm thinking. And we might yeah. do like a part one, part two, and yeah. maybe conclude with a season with that. People can tune in each week. It's like a I can't wait to see what happens to the yeah. trial of Minnie Callison. <laughs> Serialized drama. Yeah. We should record... An old school radio drama. <laughs> yeah. Oh. A Western style old school radio drama. Make Do it as like a one off. We we make our own sound effects. Pew pew. <laughs> that's not a good example. I don't know, that's not that's Western that's drama. That's more of a Flash Gordon effect. <laughs> no, it's more like Yeehaw! <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Al, you in there? <laughs> I don't know. Could you guys hear me slapping the table? A little, little bit. Okay. I just realized I'm making sound effects and I'm using a, a unidirectional microphone and that's designed to not pick up the room noises. So mm. that was kind of stupid. <laughs> it's pointed at your table. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, this is episode nine of season one, No Other Sons or Daughters, written by George Putnam, directed by Ed Bianchi, original air date, May 16th, 2004. It is morning. We're in Al's bedroom. Al slams the rock with the gold flakes in it down on his nightstand. He wants Trixie awake so that she could watch him piss in his chamber pot. (laughs) He likes an audience. He just seems like he's in a bad mood right from, you know... Minute one. Kinda. When, is he, when is he not in a bad mood, though? He's always in a bad mood. But, I mean, yeah. he's kind of tame here. Well, yeah, he seems angrier. No. She came to bed with the upper hand, so mm-hmm. he's got to wake her up all angry. I, I didn't think he was that ba- in bad of a yeah, mood. Because it, he, it's not like he beat her up or anything. He, he was concerned yeah, about her. Yeah, he leaves and he's like, hey, don't try killing yourself again. I actually thought he was being really sweet here. Yeah. Uh, sort of. <laughs> For Al. I th- Trixie, I think Trixie thought he was, too. Yeah. Well, Al tries telling Trixie that life consists of doing things you don't want to do. In this case, he has to meet with the magistrate from Yankton to discuss how everyone in the camp might hold on to their titles and deeds after annexation. And he also yeah. tells her not to try offing herself again. Yeah, because, you know, it's when he was saying that, it's like, yeah, Trixie has no idea about having to do things you don't want to do. Yeah. Yep. Uh, can, can we count that as mansplaining then? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to know if you had a chamber pot or whatever piss pot. <laughs> if you if you would ever get used to the smell in your room, uh, I, oh, I, I guess you I would. I'm hoping they scrub it out every. Somebody scrubs it out every day. I don't know, oh, they, sitting they, there all night. Well, what's her face? Probably scrubs it out. Mm. Jewel. Yeah, that's probably her job. Know. I was trying to think who whose job it is to throw that out, but it's probably <laughs> Jewel's. Um, or he just tosses just, it out of the balcony. They probably didn't have urinal cakes back then either. <laughs> <laughs> but would it be more pungent than the everyday smell? Mm. Like, we see Doc later walking yeah, around. shit everywhere. Yeah. We see Doc walking around and it looks like he's got shit on his hat. People, oh. Yes, people are probably dumping shit out on the street. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah, so I, the whole town probably smells like shit and piss and... There's reverence with rotting flesh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rotting flesh. <laughs> and the pigs, I mean, the pigs too. Like, yeah. it's got to smell like I mean, the horses are dumping it wherever mm-hmm. they feel like, you know? Yeah. And then it's and... all getting smushed together in the mud in the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's so... there's just... Nobody's nose is work, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I can't that's imagine. That's why they drink themselves stupid because mm-hmm. of the smell. Well, you should take Soapy's offer and purchase a bar of soap. <laughs> and hey, you might even get a prize inside. Hmm. And this prize would smell nice because it was right next to the soap. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Although, although, remember the soap that he's probably selling is um oh, what's the uh-huh. name of it? Uh, octo uh, octagon or whatever it is. Yeah, it's basically just lye soap. It has no extra good smell it just cleans yeah with acid yeah yeah it takes off a layer of your skin Ooh. Mm. yep i feel acid clean (laughs) (laughs) well you know what in that kind of a a, an environment maybe you need a little acid cleaning (laughs) yeah yeah the deadwood actors went to the real deadwood i think in between seasons two and three and they asked them like what like what's the difference between your set and the real Deadwood. I mean, of course, it's year, you know, decades later. But I think it was Paula Macklesome who plays Trixie. Said, "Well, it's a lot cleaner. We're not up to our knees in mud and who knows what else." Yeah. 
Yeah, because even for the actors, it was probably still full of horse shit everywhere. <laughs> Seth and Ellsworth walk into Mr. Farnham's absurd restaurant. They inform Alma, who's having breakfast with Sophia, that Ellsworth will stay on the claim to sustain her ownership. Alma tells Seth privately that she hopes he's not disassociating himself from her affairs. He's not. But he wants her to meet with Ellsworth and form an opinion on him based on how she feels, not how and how he looks. Which is kind of rude. Mm. He looks normal. Yeah. Well, dirty. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, you're from New York. You know, you're from back east. And he's a, a, a guy that works. So, you know. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's pretty haphazard and looking. I mean, he's just kind of thrown together and, and all. I did notice how raggedy people were looking this episode. He looks though. better than Farnham. Farnham, uh, his coat is all patchy and oh, full of yeah. holes. Yeah. Farnham's yeah. coat is a mess, but Ellsworth's yeah. clothes are even worse. Yeah, and they're really like hanging off him. They've got big holes in them and stuff. I can understand that Ellsworth would be in a little in a disarray because he mm-hmm. works outside oh, yeah. in the yeah, creek. Exactly. What's mm-hmm. Farnham's excuse? Yeah. Right. Well, I think Farnham's excuse is that he doesn't pay for some for fabric and stuff to make him a new coat and his sweat his sweat is eating through it's his clothes acidic acidic sweat <laughs> it's like lemon juice coming <laughs> out of his pores <laughs> Ellsworth also lives in a tent doesn't he yes yeah he lives outside he lives in a tent yeah. he works with in, the dog right he works in water all day yep. so if he's got his clothes, you know, being wet all the time, that's going to rot him through. Give the guy a break, Alma. Jeez. I thought, oh, I, I don't he know. He does. He deserves a break. He's a sweet man. Yeah. But Alma didn't say anything. Seth hey. preemptively told her not to judge yeah. him based on how he looks. Yeah, but Seth is a little bit fancy pants, too, you know? Yeah. He's very well put together. I think he knows her type, though, pretty well. Timothy Oliphant can wear a suit. Yes. 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 An Irish chap that works for Farnham walks in. He was washing his pants because he gets drunk and shits in them. Then he hides (laughs) them under rocks by the creek. Oh, my God. (laughs) He hides his shame. Uh, I just love, I love how free he is with this information. Yes, I, I was wondering at first why he was telling him that, uh, what's, there's gotta be a point to this. <laughs> why would you be telling people mm-hmm. this? <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? <laughs> Sharing violation. <laughs> I, can you imagine a coworker? Hey, you know how I get drunk and shit in my pants? <laughs> no, I don't. Why are you telling me this? You know, <laughs> I've had some coworkers that have not shared that exact thing, but things equally as bad. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Mm. I don't need to know. Please go. Yeah, I had one fellow start really oversharing at work one day, and I was standing there looking at him, trying to be polite and keep a polite look on my face. And he just all of a sudden got this look like, oh, what am I saying to this person? This yeah. <laughs> looked really embarrassed suddenly. And we both were like, okay, then see you later. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, way too much information. But upon recovering his pants, this Irish chap has discovered a letter that Wild Bill had given him. This is the letter that Bill wrote to his wife, Agnes. It's miraculously unsoiled. So E.B. takes the letter and says, not a word to anyone. Yeah, what do you think he's going to do with that letter? Open it. Read it. Yeah, I mean, I would think he'd try and sell it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. But 
I was thinking about this. This is before, you know, gum sealing of of letters. That that's sealed with wax, right? Yep. So you can't steam it open. Nope. So if he does open it, it's it's very obvious. But he was definitely making um whatever the guy's name is, the Irish guy's uh he was making him very nervous and and making him shut you know making him scared so he'd hand it over he definitely has a plan i don't know what that is though i mean as i say i would think that he's going to try and make money off it somehow we just think he's going to sell it maybe to uh charlie maybe mm. cuz he's just opened like that postal service mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. Speaking and of, plus, Charlie was Bill's friend. I don't know. Speaking it of might the postal service, where did that come from? And yeah, even... I, I didn't even hear about that before. Yeah, had he mentioned that before? Yeah, yeah he was talking yeah. about it. Yeah, okay. Charlie, it at all. Charlie told uh, Bill that he was going to start it. it seemed... And he had gone to um, that town to get supplies for um, Seth and Saul. And just part seemed... of it was that he was setting up his uh, his freight line. It just seemed to to erect itself out of the blue. You know what I mean? It was His store moved along very fast. It yeah, seemed. that's that's He's, true. His storefront had kind of appeared out of nowhere, but he, yeah. I mean, he but had those mules, and he was mm-hmm. ready know. ready to go. I guess. Yeah, it's it's okay. what he was doing when he wasn't with Bill. Right, and he's renting the storefront. Yeah, so it's not like where Saul and Seth built their their yeah, store. Yes, he's renting this something that was already there. He just put a big sign on it. By the way, did we mention that uh, Seth and the Widow are flirting outrageously in that scene with Ellsworth? I love it. <laughs> I'm a total Salma shipper, so. <laughs> I mean... Such betrayal. Scene, the, the sexual attention you can cut with a knife. Yeah, every scene... Oops. But I thought he was a terrible actor, so how can you do that? You? <laughs> You're putting words in my mouth. <laughs> No, I think those were words that you said yourself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, every scene in this thing, whenever they're in the same room together, every line that they have means something different from what they're saying. It's like all this subtext that's like text. Yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> is it warm where you are, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Such betrayal. Such betrayal, Alma. Don't hide your true feelings for Trixie. Or Jane. Or someone. <laughs> well, Ellsworth and Sophia are getting along great. They're very cute together. Oh, it was adorable. He is so cute. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's been cute before, but, geez, this was, like, over-the-top cute. <laughs> I was so glad that um, Charlie and Ellsworth met. They seem like they should be pals. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. I liked the the notes from Jim Beaver um, that were in the group this week. And I think it was talking about last week or this week. I don't know. But uh, he talks about how the chemistry between his character and Sophia is based on when he first met the actress who was not intended to be the original actress. And she had never acted before. And I thought that was really cute. So how did she become? She was like a stand-in. Yeah, she was just supposed to stand there for the actress. And then um, what's-his-face that does this show was like, oh, I like her better. Mm. I thought I read that the original actress had some problems. 
well, Jim Beaver probably wasn't going to put that in there. He's a lot more diplomatic. Yeah, he's a pretty classy act. Yeah. Well, Ellsworth recommends Alma hire someone to put stakes in the ground, because he only works in the creeks. Alma's brother and father know about the claim, as do Brahm's parents, but she doesn't know if they're going to be helpful or loyal to her. This is when Charlie comes in. E.B. congratulates him on his new postal venture. Charlie's very self-conscious about his fancy new frock coat. Do we think he's going to stick with that coat, or is he going to get rid of it next episode? I thought it looked great. Yeah, I thought so, too. Yeah. I thought so, too. I I, uh, I hope he keeps it. I, I hope he ignores what Jane says. Yes, I agree. I hope he ignores what Jane says. He, he looks rather dapper. Yeah. And I don't think Joni would have talked to him if he wasn't wearing it. And it wasn't so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think she would have, only because... Um, I think she she's pretty savvy about I think she can size people up pretty quickly. Mm. Well, over at the gym, Al has dropped a stitch. He should have found a replacement for a persimmon fill and used that postal and freight business as a cover for his illegal activities. But now it's too late because Charlie Utter is the operator. But Al proposes to Johnny, Johnny, you could become the new persimmon fill. And Johnny is like, boss, I am so ready to be the new persimmon fill. I have dreamt of this day. I cannot wait. I love Johnny. I think he's my new favorite character. <laughs> I- I just want to do the whole Jack Nicholson. Johnny, you are my number one guy. Guy. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's right. I'm pulling out all the 90s references today. (laughs) I also enjoy Johnny quite a lot. It's it's nice just to have kind of a happy-go-lucky character, sort of an oblivious character. He's a nice counterpoint Mm. to Al, who who overthinks things, possibly. Yeah, yeah yes. Johnny is incredibly stupid. I mean, adorably so, though. Like a yeah. puppy. <laughs> he's just like he's just all he's all ho to impress Al, and it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't find him adorable just because I know that you know if Al wanted him to do something really, really horrible, he would do it in a split second. <laughs> he might do it in an adorable way, though. <laughs> Like a like a bumbling kind of idiot way. Yeah, but it does take. Like, oh, look at the way he's committing that murder. Oh, <laughs> it takes a little shine mm. off the adorable part for me. Aw, <laughs> I'll go with Ellsworth. Yeah. Well, Magistrate Claggett comes in to the gym. We last saw him during the McCall trial. He debriefs Al regarding the treaty with the Sioux. Means that the hills are about to be annexed. Now, according to the Northwest Ordinance, if you're on land and you improve it, you own it. But on the other hand, the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty may mean that Deadwood already belongs to the Sioux. So Claggett recommends that Al form a municipal organization to make the camp seem more legit. Al just wants to buy up the legislatures and wants to know how much money it'll cost. But Claggett says, given how much gold is in the hills, these figures are going to be murky. Also, Al has an outstanding warrant in Chicago for murder. Claggett will fix that for 5000 Interesting. I want to know more about this murder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares I, about the treaties? <laughs> I love how Al gets so annoyed at the... He objects to calling Native Americans people. Oh, yeah. Yes, he says something like, is that what we're calling them now? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, at the very beginning, you know, the whole thing, when he was going on with the monologue at the very beginning, he really played his hand by talking about how, you know, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, uh, you know, and going on and on about it, just highlighting the fact that he's he's scared right at the moment. And this is what he's scared of. Well, I tried finding any information about the real Elsewhere engine having a warrant in Chicago for murder. I could not find anything. That's because well, that lawyer, that lawyer I, covered it up. <laughs> okay. That's what $5,000 was for. <laughs> and $5,000 is not a lot of money to Elsewhere engine. That one he's making, he's making that much per night, if not more. So. Mm. I think everything is a lot of money to Elsewhere engine. Yeah, I think two bits is a lot of money to Elsewhere Engine. Yeah. If he doesn't think he should spend it, if he thinks he, he should spend it, no big deal. But if he doesn't think he should have to spend it, yeah. And if he sees it, I mean, I think this guy is somebody who has probably clawed and bitten his way up from really, really low level and for every bit he's got and the last thing he wants is to go back and be, you know, broke. And I'm guessing he packs away every cent he possibly can. Probably, but he also said regarding that claim, you know, think big picture. Mm-hmm. So it's in his best interest to quash this warrant. And what's really $5,000 to him if it's going to get that warrant to go away? Oh, yeah, but I'm yeah. guessing that he's looking at it and thinking, you know, how bottomless a pit is this whole thing going to be? True. Yeah, he's, and he's not liking this Claggett guy. No, and it's and the fact that the guy is not giving him numbers is just like, yeah, it's $5,000 to get you, you know, off this warrant, and then it's however much I think for as long as I think it, you know. Al can see this. This guy is ready to just try and bleed him dry. Sure. Well, let's talk a little bit, sorry, Mel, about this treaty. <laughs> Whatever. Al, Al later says that the U.S. government's negotiating peace with Spotted Elk, Red Cloud, and other leaders of the heathens. The heathens will get the money to give up the hills, and the hills will be annexed to the territory. Well, I've got a, a paragraph here from the Black Hills Visitor. In late 1876, the U.S. military occupied the Black Hills and forced the agency Indians to surrender. The U.S. government demanded that the Lakota Sioux sign over the Black Hills and accept substance rations on the reservations or starve. Some Lakota leaders, including Red Cloud and Spotted Tail, were moved to sign the 1876 treaty to avoid mass starvation of their people. However, only 10% of the adult male Sioux signed the new agreement, and 75% was the number required by the treaty. Yet Congress enacted this agreement anyway into law. It was a one-sided treaty, and it was debated for about a hundred years whether or not the Sioux actually relinquished the land. In the 1980s, the Supreme Court decided to um, pay the the Sioux for the violation of the treaty. The payment was 105 million. The Sioux declined to accept the money because, again, they maintained that they never agreed to this, and they would lose all claims to the land. So the money was put into a bank account in the Bureau of Indian Affairs where it accrued compound interest as of August 2011. The interest was compounded to over $1 billion. Whoa. And there the money sits. 
while the Sioux say, we don't want the money because we wanted the land. We it's, never agreed to give you the land. It's kind of dirty money to begin yeah, with. Yeah, it's dirty money, and once it's divided, yeah. it amounts to like 10000 per person, which really is not a lot. Not so, And on the principle of the thing, they would just rather not take the money. They're playing the long game, and they're going to let that accrue for generations, and in like 500 years... They're going to have enough money to buy the entire United States. <laughs> I would oh, love it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The Black Hills also have a lot of religious significance to the Lakota. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they're talking about when they're talking about the treaty. They're talking about this kind of agreement saying that a few members of the Lakota Sioux, uh, Spotted Tail and Red Cloud, agreed to uh, you know, stop the violence. Basically, it was an agreement just to get rations because the people were starving. Yeah, they're talking about them like they're people, but they're sure not treating them like people. No. Oh, no. Yeah. What? The American government treating Native Americans poorly? That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the opposite way. <sighs> well, it, that, that stuff The U.S. government... Treating Native Americans well. That never happened. Well, yeah. They, I, that was I sarcasm. Believe, I believe no, she was being no, sarcastic. I got, I got that. I got that. Oh, but it's funnier when I explain it. <laughs> <laughs> At the pest tent, the Reverend asks Jane if he emits any kind of odor. He smells his flesh rotting. She yells at him to consult with the doc. Then he spills some water and she sort of just like pushes him over. <laughs> but then she puts him on, on duty because she has to go after again. It's uh, I feel I I I actually feel bad for the Reverend here. Oh yeah, like, I feel I, bad it, for the Reverend and Jane. Yeah. yeah, she's angry at him for making her care. Yeah, yeah. As soon as she cares, she gets very angry at people. So she yeah. must really like Charlie a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because she, he makes her angry every minute mm. whenever she sees him. So. I think it's one of the reasons why she has to leave is because she's starting to care about these people. Yeah. The, the thing is, too, like, if someone's talking about, emo like, emotional things, like, they're always bringing emotions into it, and Charlie is, like, the most emotional guy around, I think. Mm. Don't you, Wouldn't you guys agree? Like, he's always kind of wearing his heart on his sleeve. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, she also, I mean, everything she says about herself, she really thinks horribly of herself. It probably too. It's like the 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 thing about her. I feel like she would be the type of person that, yeah, if you do bring emotions into it, she doesn't want to feel anything because she wants to be tough. She doesn't want to cry. She wants to be a man, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's she's had a hard life and she wants to not hurt anymore. Yeah. And if you bring emotion, I mean, the last person that she really cared about, mm. she could never get close to. And then he died. And and, and she's days. dealing with that. And hmm? It's only been a few days. This is true. It's only been a few days. I mean, because we're it's watching this, longer. you know, two weeks apart. But each each of these episodes is coming one right after the other. It's only been a few days. Yeah. Well, there was a there was that gap, that jump in time. Between... Which was a few days. <laughs> so, well, we yeah. found out that that was when we found out that Trixie had been with Alma for like 10 days. Okay. So it's been, a been weeks. I would say it's been at the most three weeks since Bill has died. Okay. At the most okay. three weeks. All right. But Still long for oh, some. Oh, so raw. Yeah. 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 
And with this whole smallpox thing, she's probably kind of put it out of her mind while she just dealt with this one thing. And now that yeah. the smallpox is over, it's kind of like, oh, God, that I remember. You know, that. Uh-huh. And it's all coming back to her, the, the grief. Yeah. So she needs a hobby, basically. <laughs> yeah. She needs something to keep her keep her mind occupied. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, Al makes the rounds. First, he visits EB and announces he's forming a government. Then he goes to see Mer- Merrick. Mel, you keep laughing. Like, Sorry, it's just I just find these scenes completely amusing to me. Like they're completely great. I love well, it. This I, show always makes me laugh. Well, good. Every, every episode I watch, I laugh. I laugh my head off. It's just great. I love it. You have a hearty laugh. Yes, I do. Every time, I just I just enjoyed Al like going around and like. Just I have a question. To come to this meeting. Yeah. Okay. It uh, it occurred to me at the end of the episode, but it make but this it was about this. Is this the first time we've seen Al outside of the gym? Mm. I think we've seen him walk from his place to size place. That's about it. That's right. Yeah. We saw him walk from his place to size place once. And then later on, he complains in this episode about like the fresh air is just. Is he, is, I feel like I feel like he went out when he was looking for that fucking whore. Where's that fucking whore? Wasn't he like walking around doing that? Maybe. No, I think he just had his underlings. Yeah, oh, he, he, he went Johnny. to the docks. He went to the docks one time. That's true. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh right, to, for Jane, uh, to, for the kid, I mean. Yeah. Maybe he just doesn't enjoy walking. Because <laughs> he's so tied to the gym, and when he said that thing about the fresh air, I was like, "Have we seen him go out at all?" Okay, so we have seen him go out a couple times, but not not like Ooh. this. I mean, this was really. So we know he's not a vampire. He's been outside of the gym. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but but Mel's also but Mel is right. I also find it very funny just how like put upon Al Al seems. Like he mm. makes every he's he's out of sorts and it's really yeah. funny. It is. It's great. I love it. <laughs> he's in a, he's in a huff. Yes. He goes yeah. to see Merrick, but Merrick isn't at his office. In fact, he knocks on the door so hard that the glass in the door frame breaks. <laughs> oh, I, he, thought it was, I thought it was already broken and yeah, he just knocked maybe, it loose. Yeah. I think it was partially broken and he broke it some more, or as you said, it could have been partially loose. But <laughs> I also enjoy when he takes the coffee. Yes. <laughs> he steps out and he just throws it in a. Cause it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he helps himself to the coffee and then he, he walks outside and he goes, oh, oh, terrible, gross, throws it away. <laughs> uh. Al seems to be like turning around and being like more lovable and yeah. stuff. And I have a theory about this, but I don't know if I should bring it up now or later. We're on the subject about about uh, Al. We're on the subject. Well, it concerns. I'll yeah, I'll just bring it up now. Al seems like he they're, they're trying to make us like him, and he's he's funny and he's charming and uh, kind of kind of. <laughs> and uh, but I think they're gonna make him turn. He's gonna turn heel again to a real villain and he's going to end up killing Saul in a fit of jealous rage over over uh Trixie Trixie Ooh huh? Huh? Oh. <laughs> That would be dramatic <laughs> You should have saved that for your predictions Well I don't think it's going to happen next episode Oh okay <laughs> But whenever they want to turn Al into the bad guy again that's what's going to happen I I think Saul is there for the long haul Oh I don't think he'll yeah I don't think he'll get killed for it or anything Oh Saul oh. sorry I thought you made Al. <laughs> no, no, I yeah, Saul. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Maybe he'll try to kill Saul, and maybe Saul will get the upper hand and kill him. <laughs> no, and I mean, then he can claim Trixie for his own. Al will never die. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> Long live Al. 
So is my theory bullcrap? Nobody, nobody buys my theory. I don't know. We'll see. I think I, it's fun. <laughs> I can see Al getting. I think they could turn him violent at any moment. Yeah. And he could, you know, do something really despicable at any moment. But he, I don't he's, think yeah. he's Saul, and I don't think it's going to be jealousy over Trixie. He started out really violent and scary, and now he's not. And I think they're going to turn him again eventually. I think if it doesn't happen, you can at least write a delightful fanfic. (laughs) (laughs) About Saul's murder. (laughs) Delightful. Yes. (laughs) I I would agree that at some point um, they're going to probably surprise us with something extremely violent from Al. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be sudden and, and extremely unpleasant. As Seth confides to Saul that it's time to send for his wife and boy, this is when Al marches in. He wants to form an informal municipal organization, in quotation marks. He wants Seth and Saul to join him. Then he compliments them on their hardware store. Looking pretty good, boys. And they really let that that uh, inbreeding insult slide. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, he took it really well. <laughs> I think Saul has heard everything possible. Yeah, he must have known. Well, at the Bella Union, Joni tells Eddie that Sai's going to help her start her own place and that he's promised to keep her distance, and Eddie is like, it sounds great, sure. He's skeptical. We all, we're all skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And this is when Al stops by and in, invites Sai to their meeting and then takes their coffee. <laughs> so Joni goes to look for a place. Sai comes downstairs. Eddie confides he has a problem regarding what happened to Miles and Flora. He can't figure out the angle, but uh, Eddie would like to come to the big meeting, and Sai's like, sure, whatever, if it makes you feel better. Yeah, Eddie is getting uh, some, he's starting to get some... uh... Cajones? Cajones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it could be really interesting to see where Eddie goes in this whole thing. Yeah. Nutty, what did you think of Flora? What, do you, what did you think of her, specifically her kind of quick turnaround? It was very rushed. I really was hoping for more. I know that we found out that it was rushed on purpose. I thought it was going to be something really great. And then in the end, it, it wasn't. And they were trying to get in everything that they possibly could. I felt really bad for Joni and, and Eddie and... I, I really feel for them because they they had to deal with that. But also when Joni's walking through the camp and she looks at Wu's pig stall oh. and she sees the dress. Oh, yeah. How do they oh, not my God. They don't hmm? shit. How do they not try to they hide that? They don't care. Uh, they, like, nobody cares. Thing. Everybody knows what happens, you know? Yeah. Everybody knew that this girl was killed by Psy and, well, they think it was by Psy, but, I mean... It well, was, but yeah. yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if leaving her dress there is just like a just, warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nope. and for Joni to have to see that, like, I just, oh my gosh, that just wrenched my whole heart, you know. And I feel like Flora would have been a a great tool for us to understand Joni's character more, and to understand Eddie's character more. And I just, I feel, I feel cheated on that. And so that stupid agent was very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid agent's stupid. 
I was very disappointed by that. I I did not think she had dead eyes, by the way. Oh, okay. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no dead, no shark eyes? No, no. But mm. I did think that she seemed so different when she turned it off. You know, like she was totally sweet and innocent and beaming. And then she was a cold-hearted bitch. And I was like, I am scared of that woman. <laughs> She's scary. And I, I did like the one line of... You just want to do this because you want to cut somebody. Yeah, yeah. And that showed me that she is. She was a, a serious like psychopath. Yeah. And I maintain that she's awesome. And I'm disappointed that she went the way she did, but I do kind of like how abrupt it was because it was so unexpected. Yeah. But I do feel bad for Joni and seeing the dress in the pig pen. I, uh, I mean, during this whole sequence where Joni's walking through what they call Chink's Alley, she's overwhelmed. I don't know how often she's really been outside the, the Bella Union. I know she went to Hickok's funeral, but she's, as she says to Charlie, she's out of breath, and she sees Joni, or Flora's dress in the, in the pen, and what must be going through her head right now? Just a feeling of being, of claustrophobia. Yeah. Also, she's, she's really very much out of her element. Well, she's like walking around in high heels in the muck. Yeah. She gets the stank eye from Wu. Yeah. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see much of Wu. He's kind of a mysterious character, so... I hope we get to know more about him. I mean, it seems crazy to have a well, you know, well-known character actor just being an extra for episode after episode. <laughs> Who are you talking? Are you talking Mr. about Mr. Wu? Wu? Yeah. yeah. Well, you obviously didn't look ahead on the episode titles, did you? <laughs> no, because <laughs> I'm not supposed to. <laughs> no, well, that's how the DVDs are set up for us. Like you, you, you can see them. Yeah, you can see three at a time. Yeah, but but I'm doing it on uh, Amazon Prime, so uh, okay. I can. I mean, they're all there, but I make it a point to only look at. Well, without going into predictions, Matt, why don't you just tell us what the title is for the next episode? Oh, I don't know the exact title. Isn't it's it? Mr. Isn't it's it Mr. just Mr. Wu? It's yeah. Mr. Wu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. Looking forward to that. Well, Joni yeah. meets Charlie. What did we think of this? Exchange? It was awkward. Awkward. Yes. No, it was going fine until she mentioned she was a whore, and then it turned awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about oversharing. Yeah. yeah. I thought he took it well. No, I just thought it was already kind of an awkward conversation. Because no. I feel like Charlie is a bit awkward. I thought they were having a good time. Because he's always... Well, he's just always... They were having a good time. They are having a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think that... I mean... Yes, it, but it was very... It, just, it was just very, like, hesitant. And then it just petered out at one point. It was, no, it was just a, a very hesitant conversation. And it's just kind of... There was an awkwardness about it. Well, and and it, it, it seemed like... Charlie maybe thought she was like a fine-looking woman, you know, and he was kind of taken by her. I'm sure if you're her, you're going to take every conversation with a stranger hesitantly. You think? (laughs) If you're her in Deadwood, yeah. I mean, I think they were both out of their comfort zones, and it was natural for it to be awkward for both of them at that particular moment, because they were both feeling totally ill at ease with where they were and what they were doing and, and all of that. So it made sense to me. I I thought it went well for 
I mean, I thought the conversation went well for two people who were feeling as insecure as those two were. I thought it was very funny because uh, he's like, I feel like an asshole in this frock coat. And she's like, <laughs> you look great. I'm a whore. He's like, okay. Well, no. Well, nice what, to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. He said, what kind of business are you going to open? And she said, brothel. Oh, well, that's okay. It was, it was an answer to a question, you yeah. know. It was, you know, pretty straightforward. It would, I would, it would be an awkward answer today, <laughs> but back then in Deadwood, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, she's walking alone on the street in Deadwood. How many... She's unescorted. How many other kinds of women were there? There. I mean, how many different professions? I don't think there were a lot of school teachers. And women, there were only a few professions available for women at that point, especially in Deadwood. So, he probably had an inkling. I kept expecting them to figure out that she should have her brothel in, like, the upper floor of his freight thing. Ooh. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's like, could you, oh, could you mail? Could you also mail whores if you so chose? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a postal, like mail order whore service. Oh no, no! You you combine um, the freight right and the brothel and the newspaper because I'm sure he's got photography equipment, and it's your first porn magazine. <gasps> oh, <laughs> I like I like how enterprising you are. That would, that would be great. And you know who could lick the stamps? The titty licker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're killing me. Well, I mean, he kept saying notes. he had too much room. That he here he had rented this whole big building, yeah. and he didn't know whether it'd go. And and she's looking for a space for her place, and it just seemed like that's where they were headed. Well, Joni. In a very roundabout way, a very clever way, tells Charlie about the big camp meeting and where it's being held without having to have him admit that he has no idea what she's talking about. I thought that was very cute. It was very, it was very cute and clever of Joni to allow Charlie to save face in this way. Yeah, and then, yeah, and Charlie kind of knew that she was doing it and it was like a little game they were playing. It was nice. I also feel like she was trying to get him there on purpose, like, Oh, you guys think that you're the pillars of the community? Well, I met this nice person, and I'm going to make sure he's involved too. You know, yeah. spread around that power. Hmm. That had not occurred to me, but I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I think I think she knew exactly what she was doing. I think Joni normally knows pretty much what she's doing, and it worked too. Was he was he the one that brought up the idea of uh, female-owned brothels being able to? No, that was Eddie. That was Oh, Ed. okay. That was cool, too. Yeah. Well, before we get to the meeting, the Reverend is having seizures in the pest tent. Doc finds Jane leaning up against a building. He wishes Jane would stop drinking. Oh, was that when, was that when the Reverend was trying to hide his seizures by, like, slumping in a corner and, like, behind a curtain? <laughs> yeah. 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 And the Doc was, like, so angry at him over it, too. Like, you could see him. He's just like... Yeah. Yeah. Dumb idiot, just ask me for help. No? No? Yeah. Fine. I'm uh, going to fun. the gym. <laughs> <laughs> this episode should have had the title should have been something about being angry. I don't know. <laughs> Volcanoes in Deadwood or something. Well, Jane is very angry toward the doc for his kind of she feels like he's ignoring the Reverend or not taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, you shouldn't wait for the Reverend to ask for help. You should help him. Mm-hmm. 
maybe yeah. I don't know. She's drunk at this point, leaning up against a wall. Charlie notices that she's holding the the wall up. Uh, offers her a job, any job, <laughs> but she tells him to go away. And also, he's wearing his ridiculous frock coat. You look awful. <laughs> You're horrible looking. What are you wearing that for? You look ridiculous. He looks fine. He looks good. He's a vision in brown. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is. Yeah. I, I really Especially hope he doesn't let Jane get in his head. What's that? I hope he doesn't let Jane get in his head. Oh, I don't think he does. I think he ends every sentence with, All right, Jane. Yeah. She Charlie, plays you look ridiculous. All right, Jane. Whatever. But, but the problem is he's already, you know, concerned about it. I mean, if he were confident about how he looked, he wouldn't care, but... True. The fact that he's... But he's already heard two people say he looks fine, so the one person that's angry at him and, you know, saying something, I don't think it's going to bother him. Yeah, when a sober woman like Joni says that he looks fine, I think he would take her her, her opinion more than James. Did, did she say he looked fine? I thought she said he looked un, like unnatural in that outfit, like that yeah, she said he looked fine, but then when he said, I don't usually wear it, she, she admits that he doesn't look like someone who usually wears it. Yeah. yeah See, so I felt, coat, but he does not. look uncomfortable, right? He looks yeah. like he's feeling awkward, and you can tell that. Mm. Yeah. That's why he's asking the question, because he's not sh- sure about it. So. Right. And so what I was worried about was that with Jane, who is used to him being in his regular clothes, and, like, knows the real him, that if she calls him out on it, he'll feel that much more like he just is can't pull it off. But I hope not. Yeah, I think she's, he knows she's just angry in general, I don't think. Yeah. He's got to be used to it. This is this is typical Jane yes, projecting behavior. Yeah. 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 I bet you she tries to do this all the time. <laughs> she tries to hurt his feelings all the time. She does. I mean, we've seen that since the yeah. first episode, but... Yeah, it seems to always roll off his shoulders because he always comes back for more, so... Doc is seeing to the horrors. He gives Trixie an onion for her arm, and she thanks him. Although it kind of feels more like a thanks for everything, like, thanks for saving my life kind of kind of moment. But mm. yeah. he mentions raspberry leaf, and I believe Nutty has some information for us about raspberry leaf. Yeah, so, um... I was like, raspberry leaf? Hmm, what does that do? That's got to do something. So I had to, I had to look it up. And I figured Mel is right. Uh, one of the horses is pregnant. The doc prescribes the raspberry leaf, which is known, according to WebMD, is known to ease morning sickness, bleeding gums, which come with pregnancy, uh, especially then, I guess, uh, relax and soothe the uterus, help with birth, reduce, and reduce cramps. It can also be used to aid in fertility, so I doubt the doc would prescribe it for anything else if she wasn't pregnant. Mm. It can also help with uh, diarrhea, diarrhea and the menstrual cycle and leave sore throat. So it could have other uses, but because it helps infertility, I can't imagine him giving that to her unless she is actually pregnant. Because I've always heard, yeah, I've just always heard that don't drink raspberry leaf tea if you're pregnant because it might make you give birth earlier than you should. Mm. Some teas you can't drink when you're pregnant yes. because yes. of that. Yeah. Because apparently if you're full term and you're just waiting for the thing to pop out, for God's sake, drink <laughs> raspberry tea. <laughs> There's there there are a lot of teas that you should not drink when you're pregnant. Um, they're also uh, what is it, Saint John's Wort? Yeah. Um, if you're on any sort of 
uh, hormonal anything, you should not be taking it because it can uh, actually reverse the effects. One of the articles that I found about raspberry leaf said that in the 1920s, British researchers isolated a substance called fragorine from the leaves, which is found to be a uterine relaxant that reduces muscle spasms in the uterus. So that would alleviate the painful periods and menstrual cramps, but could also ease delivery and accelerate mm. labor. So, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, like, you, like you said before, the cats, it's, it's likely one of those things where it's they thought one thing, now they think another thing. So it's pretty much, it can be used for anything. Make you unpregnant or uh, make you pregnant. Yeah. yeah, probably depending on, well, depending on the patient, but how far along in the pregnancy and what they want the result to be. And and when they're prescribing it. Yeah. So I just thought, I was like, oh, I hope she's pregnant. I hope Mel's right. Of course I'm pregnant. <laughs> They had some weird stuff back in the day, like Boardwalk Empire I was watching and they were telling um, women to basically douche with Listerine ah! to prevent yourself from getting pregnant. <laughs> and obviously that is horrible. Never ever do that and it doesn't help you at all. No, that would burn. <laughs> yeah, because even um, contraceptive of any sort were basically illegal. Yes, yes. And immoral. Even worse. <laughs> Sex education was illegal. Yeah. We move on to the big scene of the episode. All the pillars of the community are assembled. Johnny has brought pears and peaches to the meeting. Al <laughs> commends his initiative. Charlie yes. of Utter's Freight and Postal Delivery Service arrives and introduces himself. Al tells them that their best chance for holding onto their claims and businesses is to prove that they are civilized, and the best way to do that is to set up an informal government and offer the legislation in Yankton bribes. EB suggests that they make businesses pay a license as a tax to pay for the bribes. Eddie wants to know if any of the women who open brothels and pay such, will pay such licenses will have the same rights as men, and Al and everyone else is like, what are you talking about? Who is this? <laughs> They set up some positions and departments. EB would like to be mayor. Objections? None? You're mayor. Stun silence. (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised that Al let that happen. He even encouraged it. I guess he wants somebody else to take the flack for stuff that goes wrong. He knows he won't last. It's all just temporary. It's ad hoc. Ad hoc. Free fucking gratis. Ad hoc. (laughs) Free Free gratis. That was hilarious. Came back. I know. <laughs> and I assume that Al figures that he can still control the guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no matter what the titles are, Al is still in charge. So did they elect a sheriff? And if so, who is it? And no, they yep. didn't. No, we no, found out didn't. later that they didn't. Okay. Yeah. I found I found this scene a little bit confusing. It was a little confusing. Um, It was also long. But it was also like kind of like the key scene of the episode. And then it and it cuts away before it actually ends, and we hear about what happens at the meeting, like after the fact. We yeah. get a little more information about like what happened after we cut away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know that Dan comes in and tells Al that uh, that piano you ordered is here. And I was <laughs> like, "What?" It's <laughs> like when the Bella Union opened, you or- wanted a piano, and I love how he says this in front of everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the piano's here. 
<laughs> what? You told, you told me to tell you as soon as it got here. I feel like poor Al, his minions are all like deceive, disappointing oh, It's him, his own know? instructions coming back to haunt I know. Yeah. He's just too much of a control freak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in that particular case, he, you know, the guy has got it down pat. It's like, okay, these were your exact rules here and I'm following them and it's coming to bite you in the butt. So. And I love the whole like, well, you told me I wasn't allowed to wait a day. Yes. <laughs> oh, so he could have probably waited till the meeting was over at the very least. That's not what Al said. <laughs> no, that's, Al said he wanted to be notified as, of large deliveries as soon as they happen. <laughs> just the, the, that piano just sitting in front, just waiting to be brought in. <laughs> <laughs> just makes me laugh too. It's just a piano out in the street. An impromptu party would like just spring up around it. Yes. <laughs> I this is a little off topic, but I love how Farnham's first thing as soon as um he became mayor, he immediately started talking about collecting money. Mm-hmm. Yes, for bribes. And Seth thinks that maybe some of that money should go to providing services. Services? What? <laughs> what is this, Canada? I hope this is no one's quote, but E.B. says, More than providing services, taking people's money is what makes organizations real, be they formal, informal, or temporary. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Doc and Merrick want to know if eventually they will have elections, but Al is like, This is just ad hoc, ad hoc, ad hoc. Free fucking grabs. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like every every Latin term is going to do this now, right? (laughs) Oh, I hope so. I just, I love the callbacks. I love all the callbacks to their previous meetings. <laughs> yes, it's great. Because these I, are not civilized people, so when they have meetings, it just, it always goes funny. It goes sideways. Yes. So, I was at Balticon last weekend, and um, we we had the big new media geek homecoming dance thing, and uh, we're setting up for the <laughs> Did party. You <laughs> Did you have pears? Did you have pears? Well, yes, there were like five different Fruit trade. So many people brought fruit. And I look at to my co-host, Christiana Ellis, and I'm like, Christiana, I feel like we're in Deadwood and we're about to have a meeting because there's fruit. And she just started laughing. And she's like, I love that show so much. (laughs) Any other observations about this, uh, the, the big scene here, the meeting scene? No. It was delightful. I liked the way they cut away from it. I I think it lasted the right amount of time. And then to just cut away and get like little bits and pieces and stuff um, while they're sitting on the porch, I liked. Yeah, it was a good way to not make it seem too long and yet allow the... Uh, of course, this meeting would go longer than, than what we saw, but we didn't need to see the whole thing, so... No. Oh, I had a question about one of the guys who came in. Who was the guy who had been reading, like, Chinese proverbs or whatever? Oh, Tom Nuttall is the... Oh. Yeah, right. he's the owner of the Number 10 Saloon. That's where Wild right. Bill played poker. I'm, just not, I'm not used to seeing him outside of his natural habitat. Yeah. <laughs> it's night now uh, at the gym. A drunk American fights t- to the audience, I guess, because he's not talking to anyone. That he was tempted to put his name forth as mayor, but he believes that the fourth estate has a duty to remain impartial. <laughs> EB is in the background. He's getting a vigorous hand job from a whore. Oh, God. That was so gross. <laughs> and Al confides to Dan that he will look for an opportunity to knock the mayor off his pedestal. 
L asks Dan if he waited even a day before ordering that piano, and Dan reminds him that he was instructed not to wait or ask again when he was initially told to get that piano. <laughs> I was really hoping that the whores wouldn't touch Farnham. Or they'd slide right off him. Oh. <laughs> I just don't, wouldn't want him to, like, like, sweaty palms, you wouldn't want him to be touching your boobs or anything. <laughs> Outside the hardware store, Seth says to Saul that if he had known there wasn't going to be a sheriff, he never would have raised his hand to be health supervisor. Apparently, the doc declined because it was revealed at the meeting, though we didn't get to see it, that he's been arrested for grave robbing seven times. <laughs> In dead? No, it couldn't have been in Deadwood. Couldn't have been no. in Deadwood, but... Um, How did people find out then? Well, the doctor told them. Yeah, he oh, just tells yeah. them, I can't be health I can't be health supervisor. I was arrested for grave robbing. Ah. Seven times he overshared. Like, why? And did anyone expect that at all? <laughs> nope. I, I'm not surprised. Seth explained it. It's a, you know. it's a part of his medical profession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Yeah, I didn't see that coming either, but but I'm not surprised. Various people like him and artists and stuff have been getting arrested for doing stuff like that for centuries, actually. Fun facts. 85 medical schools operated prior to the Civil War, although only three states had passed so-called anatomy laws providing legal corpses for dissection. These states were Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. By the time New York passed its law in 1854, 600 to 700 bodies were disappearing annually from New York City alone. And this was all doctors? Wow. I would assume most were doctors, yeah. Wow. Despite a lack of legal materials, as many as 5,000 bodies were dissected annually throughout the 1870s. Even Harvard procured unlawful corpses as late as 1883, John Hopkins Medical School, which opened in 1893, could not acquire enough corpses annually to satisfy operating needs until 1898. By 1913, there were still 12 states that provided no legal means of acquiring bodies. It is believed that grave robbing came to an end in the United States by 1940. Well, and there also is a big deal about um, people would rob graves to sell them to the, the medical schools and stuff. So even when it was legal, you didn't have people donating their bodies to science, right? So there was a lot of grave robbing going on for that purpose, even mm-hmm. if it was legal, which uh, I think that was one of the, that was part of the Frankenstein book. I think that was in there somewhere. It's sense. referenced. Also, some states passed laws prohibiting bodies being buried with jewelry or valuables to prevent people from uh, scavenging. Graves. Which is good. I yeah. found um, quite a few articles actually about cemetery guns and what were called grave torpedoes. <laughs> what? These uh. were firearms and kind of explosive powders that were put in coffins and graves to um, basically kill or maim people who went grave robbing. Wow, like, that's intense. Uh, like tripwires. Uh, I'll, I'll just read one, and the rest I'm going to post on the Facebook group, because we're going long. But uh says here, With buyers always in the market, body snatchers worked under moonlight, and unless family members or legitimate cemetery workers held watch over the silent tombs, the pickings were easy and the cash was good. These body snatchers came to be known as resurrectionists or resurrection men. To combat the problem, creative cemetery workers fashioned what is known as the first cemetery gun, a flintlock pistol mounted on a rotating base and stand which would allow it to swing freely. 
set near the foot of a grave and pointed towards the head, the gun would have been triggered by a series of three or four trip wires extending in an arc pattern and encompassing the fresh grave. And there's a picture of it, too, of what the, uh, the cemetery guns look like. Oh, cool. So I'm going to post these on the uh, Facebook group, so uh, you can go read about cemetery guns, which is kind of a cool little thing from history that I guess a lot of people don't know about. I've never heard of that one. That's really cool. I didn't know about that either. Well, back at the gym, Tom Nuttall reports that he's feeling poorly from them canned peaches. Yeah. Saul visits Trixie. She doesn't appreciate him visiting her or offering her, offering to buy her drinks because Al is watching. And Al does not permit idle chatter or letting his cores make calls out. She doesn't want what she can't have. But if she did visit the hardware store, she would have, uh, she'd buy an axe, a hammer, and a saw. <laughs> what was she implying? Was she, <laughs> she would kill Al. I think so. <laughs> I don't think she would. I think she kind of loves him a little bit. Yeah, but I think she definitely is is um, flattered by Saul's attentions. Yes. Yeah, this is some flirting. Yeah, definitely some flirting. Sixie. <laughs> <laughs> Merrick shouts, Oh, Mayor! And E.B. waves his hat around. Ooh. Doc checks up on the Reverend. The Reverend apologizes for his flesh rotting, but he emits no such odor. It's organic changes in the brain. But worse than the new smells and the numb limbs is not feeling God's love or being able to move people's spirits. He thinks being afraid and being sick is God's will, and he won't take any steps to alleviate the symptoms. Okay, now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do I remember incorrectly that he didn't have an objection to um, medicine when it came to getting rid of the plague or vaccinating people and stuff, or or am I wrong? Nope, he had no problem with medicine. Nope. So how come... Now, I'm not saying that this is out of character or anything, because people get weird. But what sense does it make that you've got one set of rules when it comes to medicine for everybody else... But when it comes to your own health, all of a sudden it's God's will and, you know, you're not. Was he even offered medicine, though? Well, I think the difference here is this is his brain, not a disease. And so he doesn't quite understand what's going on with him. Yeah. So my thought is that because he doesn't understand this, he's... um. He's thinking of it as God's will because he feels a, a huge difference. Because he's overcome with an olfactory sense there, he's thinking this is part of God's will because there is, uh, it is said that, uh, many mystics, you know, people that are supposedly touched by God could feel God, uh, would have the stigmata and so forth, would have sense about them like flowers. And, and when they were passing, you would, they, there would be a strong scent, smell of flowers around them. So I can see him seeing this as, as a, a, the hand of God because it has similar things, but on the reverse of what he expects. You know, there's, there's, um, uh, instead of the smell of flowers, it's rotting flesh and he's feeling abandoned by God. Although, you know, God doesn't talk to me anymore makes me think, well, maybe the voices in your head stop talking. Um, 
or maybe it's just he's too stressed out in order to be able to contemplate and reflect properly. This whole story, though, reminds me of the the guy in the flood and, you know, first he's told to evacuate, the cops come, and he, he's told to evacuate, and he says, I, I can't. This is God's will. If it's God's will for me to live, I will live. They send a uh, a rescuer, you know, EMT in a, in a raft to come get him. And he says, no, if it's God's will, he will rescue me. I, I believe in God and I have faith. Then they send the, somebody in a helicopter to come get him when he's on the roof of his house. And he says, no, if it's God's will, he will save me. He dies. He goes to heaven and he says, God, I don't understand you. You, I believed in you. I prayed to you. Why did you not save me? And he says, are you kidding? I sent you the cops. I sent you a raft and I sent you a helicopter. What more help did you want? And this is my thought about the Reverend. Like, why can he not see that maybe Doc's assistance is part of God's will? Yeah, I, I mean, when I, I get it, it makes sense what you're saying that he's not looking at it as a disease, though. Though, I mean, epilepsy and other seizure kinds of things were well known, you know, by this point. It's not like it would be totally unheard of. But, I mean, I mean, that's, that is the only thing that makes sense is that he's, he's not associating it or he's really too far gone mentally to, to put it together that, yeah, this is a disease just like the one that you just helped people survive and you're refusing help. He may have higher standards for himself than everyone else in the camp. I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, he's feeling it's spiritual because it's not like a disease. And I think he is just mentally stressed to the point that he can't think clearly. Yeah. He may be just so far gone that, that it's, um, that he he just can't think. Could be as simple as just he thinks God is testing him and he's got to get through this test. Yeah, that's that's what I meant. Um, he he thinks that he's being tested, whereas everyone else is. Oh, they're sick. Okay, Doc, help him. But he holds himself to a higher standard because yeah. he is an instrument of God. He's the 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 word of God. Whatever he speaks for God. Therefore, he. He expects to get through this, or he, you know, he doesn't accept Doc's help. Whereas it's okay if everyone else does. Yeah. Do you still hate him, Mel? Or are you feeling sorry for him? He had dead eyes in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Who but doesn't I, have dead eyes? I feel no, but that you know, because of the way he's feeling, obviously, like he basically probably feels like God abandoned him in a way. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like he's putting him through this test and. You know, he's got to come to terms with the fact that he deserves to be put through this test. You know, that's got to be kind of harsh if you feel that God was on your side and now he's like, you know, torturing you. <laughs> he's a son of a bitch. But anyways, yeah, I, I do feel for him. This also reminds me of the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, the Benadryl Brownie, where Richard Lewis has to take wants to take this girl to the, like, the Oscars or the Emmys. But uh, she gets this, like this infection and her face swells up. So he's like, oh, you should just take some uh, Benadryl. That'll uh, clear it right up. But she's a Christian scientist, so she won't take it. Oh, oh So they keep trying to pray, pray away her uh, condition. So he and Larry try to put the Benadryl in a brownie and make her eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 
Go watch that episode. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> that is so awful. Sai <laughs> <laughs> tells Joni that the Bella Union promises a fresh start, but it's a false idea because eventually the house always wins. Now we think certain people, meaning her and Eddie, but mostly Eddie, have bought into this lie. Sai is concerned that if Eddie keeps opening his mouth like he did at that meeting, who knows what might spill out. So he goes downstairs, and he confronts Eddie. He implies that Eddie was lusting after Miles. Where did that come from? Yeah, this is Okay, this is really out of nowhere, but he implies that at some point in the past, Eddie raped a 12-year-old farm boy. And Eddie's like, I never did that. But Sai says, hey, Eddie, I'll get you a dry hold the fuck if you'll just get over this. But Eddie's like, no, it's not about Miles. It's about you, Sai, being an evil cocksucker. But Sai is super drunk and hostile, and he just doesn't... I, this is my, my my feeling, but I don't think he likes how Eddie makes him feel guilty and horrible. Mm. So he's projecting, and yeah. he's telling Eddie, go upstairs, think things through. Uh, yeah, this whole backstory about Eddie and being gay and possibly crushing on Miles and then maybe or maybe not raping a farm boy is... It, and it's delivered in such a kind of like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Yeah, especially with Eddie denying it um, in a fairly convincing way. Um, yeah. I wasn't so sure about that. I mean, I, I wasn't sure if it was true or not. And not that it really, well, I mean. I yeah, I mean, yeah, there was definitely wiggle room there. Yeah. I I feel like it was a threat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it was, listen to this convincing story I have, and I can tell anyone, and you know exactly what will happen to you mm-hmm. if I tell yeah. this story. Yeah, I I agree. I got that feeling, too. But it's got some basis in reality, because Eddie comes right out and says, I never did that. It's almost like, now you know that's not true, that thing that, that, people, that people were saying. Whereas if Cy was making it up completely, 100% on the spots, Eddie probably would have said, like, what the hell are you talking about? I yeah. I just got the feeling that he'd heard it from Sai before. Yeah, I I got the feeling that this was this was a uh, the you know Sai either does this kind of thing generally to people you know or something you know I mean it's it yeah it wasn't like the first time he'd heard it. Well, I wonder I wonder if Eddie is gay and Sai surrounds himself. With, you know, people like, for instance, Joni is a lesbian or bisexual or whatever, and Eddie is gay. And that if he surrounds himself with these people who have a lot to lose if their secrets go out. Mm. And I'm not saying that I think Eddie raped a farmhand, but I am saying, well, if you are gay and I say you raped a farmhand, people are going to believe it because... The, you know that you're actually gay and they'll uncover that and it's almost as bad anyway. Mm. And and if I say you raped a farmhand, nobody's going to turn a blind eye and go, oh, what he does, you know, I don't need to know about that. They're going to say, wait a minute. Oh, he is this horrible thing that we all think he is. Because yeah. this isn't a time when, you know, uh, being gay, I mean, while it wasn't spoken about, if it was spoken about, you were seen as a a... Sexual deviant, yeah, yeah, a criminal. Yeah, we're still not there because there are still yeah. people who associate yes. being gay with being a pedophile. These yeah. people are horrible. Yeah, I had, so. I had someone that I knew very well do that very thing. Uh, 
some years ago. And, I mean, uh, it was not a good situation. But your theory uh, about him keeping people like that close who have a lot to lose, that makes him even more despicable. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's horrible. He is a horrible person. Like, at least with Al, he's upfront about how horrible he is. And Sai puts it behind this nice smile and this charming yeah. demeanor. Gross. And it's just so, yeah, it's so much more disgusting. Yeah. So at this point, we think that Sai is way worse than Al. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. hundred times worse. Jane tells Charlie that she's leaving camp. The direction of the camp disgusts her and bores her. Charlie tries to calm her, saying that she did good work during the plague, but she disagrees because men came to the pest tent with plague sores. She sent them back out healthy just so they could get more sores on their Johnsons. <laughs> and she won't be drunk where he's buried, meaning Wild Bill. So she walks away. And, uh, I like all right, how Jane. She... Bye, Jane. Charlie like keeps saying. She's like... Can't remember what she said specifically, but if something happens to come up with the uh, wild bill during conversation, <laughs> implying that they still go out there and talk to that gravestone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, tell I... tell Bill for me. Explain. Yeah, I have down here my notes. Jane leaving? No, she'll be back. She's not leaving. She's got to come back. She'll be back. She strikes me as the kind of person who always says she's going to go away and then maybe goes away, but then comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I don't want her going. No, not, not now. This is way too early. She's, she's too great a character. The, the whole show is about Jane and Ellsworth to me. I mean, really. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> we gotta find someone else for you to like. Who's number three? He's gotta be a number three. Do you like Al? No. What Aww. about Charlie? Yeah, I kind of like Charlie. Yeah, I like Charlie. He's cute. But he's mostly cute. Well, I guess he was cute with Joni, too. I was going to say he was mostly cute with Jane, but I kind of like Doc. I like Charlie, and I like Saul. But really, it's the Jane and Ellsworth show to me. <laughs> I like the idea that uh, Els- I hope Ellsworth and Charlie get to be friends, because I, I think they'd be a good combo together. Yeah, I think so, too. Al and Trixie go to bed. And this is a parallel with the first scene when Al asked Trixie if there would be any more gold, and she said no. Here he asks her if she had earned him $5 since last he saw her, and she just says no. And he was, he was implying had she slept with Saul, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. If you slept with him, you better have at least got me $5. <laughs> well, you should have slept with him to get me $5. Oh, know. you think he's, he's, he, he wanted her to? Yeah, I mean, I've got the quote. have been happy either way. I don't think he wants anyone being interested in her for mm-hmm. anything but her pussy. Yeah. I think it, he is threatened by the idea that Saul is interested in Trixie as a person. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. That's his I thing. Mean, especially since, since Saul is a much more attractive person in many, many ways than than Al is as a human being. My feeling is that Al loves Trixie not in a not in a, in a traditional sense, but he loves her in a way like he does not want to see her hurt or have her hurt herself. And he's kind of tiptoeing like he's he's not saying go out there and whore it up. Did you make any money? No. Okay. Is there going to be any more gold? No. Okay. Mm. 
Like he's now pushing her back into the. No, just which is interesting in itself. I still definitely get the idea that he thinks of her as as not property the way Psy thinks of people as property necessarily, but property in a very traditional male female way. I think it's pretense. I think he's he's putting on a show. Like I'm the boss. You making me money? But when she says no, he lets it drop. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he doesn't push her out there to do anything? No, he doesn't. I Are You bringing me any more gold? No. Okay. Well, I have to ask cuz I'm your boss, but Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to push it cuz I don't think he wants to break her. And that's a kind of uh, of affection. Maybe not love, affection, I should say. It's, it's kind of sweet in his own way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does care about her. I agree. But there's, there's just. Well, it's obviously people. not like a regular loving relationship, you know. Yeah, it's no, kind of it's odd. not. It's not a traditional love, but it's. Yeah. Oh. I think there's an element of affection, and he does yeah, not want yeah. it, want her to hurt herself or have anyone else hurt her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It's. I think it's. It's a pretty complicated relationship. I don't think that's like a big surprise. Seth visits Alma at the hotel. He tells her that Ellsworth will prospect on her claim to keep her title active. Alma is horrified that Evie is mayor. (laughs) (laughs) Seth tells her that he wrote to his wife and son to bring them to camp. Or he's thinking about writing to his wife and son to bring them to camp because the government's being formed. Also, my brother was in the cavalry and he was killed two years ago. And then he leaves, and she says, well, wait, why did you just tell me about your brother? And he <laughs> says, my wife is my brother's widow, and the child is actually their son. Dun, dun, dun. So that was basically, like, him closing the door and then opening it up a creek, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I married, also... But it's out of Not fruit. really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, it was just, I was just doing my duty, man, you know? For my wife and son. And I did I, a little happy dance, cause I went, yay! Salma <laughs> could still happen. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was really interesting of him to say that. I thought this was an intriguing kinda mm. end to the episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, every scene they had all the way through the episode, Everything they said had like this huge subtext to it. And when he told her that, you know, he was sending for his wife and his, his son and the temperature in the room went down about 15 degrees mm-hmm. um, Fahrenheit, you know, it was just, and he knew that's what it was going to be. Yep. And then, and then he brought it back up again. And we also get the uh, the title of the episode because she asks, uh, any other sons or daughters? And he says no. But it's truly not his son anyways. No. I wonder if he adopted, he must have adopted the child, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Well, is that too late for that whole custom of, uh, you know, your brother dies and you you marry to, to basically take care of? Mm. I, I don't it seems like an old, yeah, outdated, I, I outdated don't, custom. Not at that time, though. You don't think at that time it been outdated? So. I don't think so. No. Civil no. War. Yeah, a, I, lot of, a lot of men died in Civil yeah. War. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, there and were, that was at the time where you know it, women were property, right? We talked about this before. Yeah. So, yeah. So it makes sense that she needed to get married again to someone. <laughs> Because who's going to bury her now that she's had a child, right? Obviously, she's ruined. Oh, no. I don't want that baggage. 
Yeah, you know, I would. Who would marry a woman that's not a virgin after all? I mean, really, that's yeah. I think he totally did that out of familial duty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we think maybe it's a loveless marriage. A kind of. I mean, obviously they're at a distance right now. Familial love, I think. Mm. That's as far as it goes, mm. probably. My aunt, who had a young son, they, the family, just about made the man who married her into a saint for having married her hmm. with a with a son. Hmm. All right. Well, that was the episode. Any additional thoughts before we move on? No. Well, last time we did some predictions here. Carol predicted that the title would have something to do with Bullock's children back home. Oh! Carol, you won the prediction. What? She said, I know I'm way off. I'm never going to get it. But I think it has something to do with Bullock's children back home. Oh. And when you said it, I went, ooh. (laughs) Wow. I'm amazed. That's very vague, and I feel like that's not fair. I think it is fair, and I'm going to give it to her. I think it is fair because that's exactly when the title was said. It was during that conversation. It's such a vague prediction, though. But it was asked about his family. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. You deserve it. Wow. (laughs) Well, it's better than your prediction, Mel, because you predicted that the whores would have their tubes tied. (laughs) Hey, they they drank raspberry leaf tea. That's the same thing. I was kind of right. Well, then you went on to predict that all the children would be kicked out of camp and that Crevler and Swath would be shot in the head by Psy. And she was. <laughs> and she was not. She was. I don't remember just... that scene. <clears throat> That's because you were having a seizure. Oh. <laughs> I thought I thought I smelt something. <laughs> I, I thought I smelt my my flesh rotting. Yeah, yeah that's right. flesh, yes. Yep. <laughs> Why? Why did I say that? That's awful. That's horrible. <laughs> An awful person. And Matt predicted that all the horrors would become barren. And also right. <laughs> None of them had children. You don't know if they're barren or not. From you the raspberry tea? That's right! <laughs> oh my. If you say so. Um... I win! I win! We win! Well, Carol wins. Carol. Yay! In an undebatable, clear victory Good for Carol. Long, long time coming. <laughs> Much deserved. And uh, the two of you. Funny feeling it will be a long time till the next one. The two of you with your raspberry tea, uh, half points. Yay! That Round, makes a point Rounded down. Us. <laughs> Woohoo! For body counts, Carol predicted two, Matt predicted zero, Mel predicted one, uh, Crevelon Swap. <laughs> and also a pig, dead That's from eating rotten flora meat. Um, so Matt wins. So healthy. Yay! The pig were... pigs were way too healthy. It wasn't, wasn't fair. <laughs> we did see the pigs. Yeah, they looked really healthy. Yeah. Like, nothing wrong. I guess it was good meat. Hmm. Mm. I get a point. Yeah, you get a point. Nobody died this episode. Good for you. Yay. You've gotten a lot of points, as I recall. Yep. I've seen this whole show before. (laughs) (laughs) I told all. (laughs) Should we move on to feedback? I don't have too much. That's fine. Uh, I will read the feedback from Nutty. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You should make her read her own. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. I have it no, here. I could. That would be funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. So I shall read my own feedback. Yeah. All right. Here we go. I really hope Jane isn't gone from the show. Also, Charlie is sweet. I love these little moments Joni has with the nice guys of Deadwood. First Ellsworth, even though she was conning him, and now with Charlie. Saul and Trixie are so cute. Alma having a thing for Seth feels forced. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) Rev is a dum-dum. Okay, so you believe your epilepsy is a trial from God. Why not think of the doc as God sending you salvation from the trial? No? Okay. Uh, Doc has seven counts of grave robbing? I did not see that one coming. Mm-hmm. How much they pay you to hold up that wall? Best line of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nuchas, host producer of Nutty Bites, Midwest.org. <laughs> 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 oh, delightful. Oh, I'm crying. Good job, Nutty. Thanks for sending Thank in feedback. Thank you. Thank you, Nutty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Nutty, for sending in feedback. You are the most beautiful and glorious listener that Hooplecast has. <laughs> I agree. And so humble. <laughs> Who would like to read Heralds? I can do it. Overall, I thought this was a weak episode of Deadwood. It lacked cohesion, which may have been caused by the sudden end of the Flora and Miles arc. On the other hand, a major development occurred, which was the formation of a town government, which means that the chaos of the camp is coming to a close, and civilization is near. It was surprising to hear that we are in episode 9, and several of the cast members finally met one another. I especially liked Charlie Utter and Joni's conversation, and how she gently informs him about the big meeting at the gym. She clearly has had practice putting men at ease and making them feel like big shots. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think we said that. She's, yeah. she's very adept at that. <laughs> My favorite parts of the episode were the ripple effect effects of Merrick having a moment of hesitation before putting his name in for mayor, and how he spent the rest of the episode either being angry that Farnham got the honor honor that he felt he deserved or making rationalizations why he couldn't have taken it. I laughed every time they cut to him. <laughs> Presumably, when E.B. grabbed the position of mayor and immediately suggested taxes, he was already thinking about how he could skim some of those revenues for himself. Oh, yeah. Plus, plus add graft for permits, etc. This non-paying honorary title could turn out to be quite lucrative. I find it interesting that the one position that wasn't filled was sheriff, probably because that is the one position where someone would be expected to do something and arrests are probably not good for business, at least not when you can enforce your own law in your own establishment. I have to admit that I never cared much for the character of Cy Tolliver, my first watch, and not much has changed this time around. I don't really understand his motivations or his relationships with Eddie and Joni. I don't get his push and pull with Joni. In this episode, he continues to mildly encourage her plans for her own place of business, yet he seethes over over Eddie's question about women operating brothels. What is he getting out of bullying Eddie and talking about 12-year-old farm boys in front of the customers? (laughs) Why would he do that? After that, one would expect Eddie to either kill Tolliver or leave the town or both. I rate this six bribe sheets out of (laughs) ten. Thanks, Harold. (laughs) That is fantastic. I also like it was Doc who then immediately after Mayor is is picked, he goes, uh, "Who's going to be comptroller?" Uh, oh yeah. yeah. 
I like that too. I just I love the beat where Evie says, "I'd like to be mayor," and Merrick opens his mouth and goes, <gasps> and then can't think of anything to say fast enough before Al is like, "Done, mayor," and, and Merrick is like, "Oh, <laughs> it was too slow. I, would, I couldn't even think of what to say," and they're all just like. What just happened? <laughs> uh, nobody dares say anything. And I feel like Sai is just one of these guys who keeps everyone on edge all the time. Razor's edge. Mm. And he's he's trying to embarrass Eddie kind of in public because he wants Eddie to feel like any moment now he can expose him. It seems so bad for business, though, to accuse one of your employees of pedophilia. Yep. Yeah. Publicly, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's much more about inflicting pain than he is about being a good businessman. Yeah. I have some audio feedback from Stephanie. Cool. Hello, Hoopalcast. This is Stephanie. This is for the episode. Um, no. Something about no more kids. No little boys or little girls. Sons nor daughters. Alma and Seth Bullock need to get a room. That was a hot conversation. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, most important part of the episode. It was the most important part. I think Stephanie's on the Salma train. Yeah. <laughs> Awfully fast after saying that. <laughs> She'll be in her bunk. Yeah. <laughs> One of our feedbackers says that this feels forced. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh... I agree with that feedbacker. No, (laughs) that feedbacker's wrong. (laughs) You guys, so you guys, some of you, some of people think there's chemistry and some people don't then. I do. You think there's chemistry? Yeah. The way they look at each other. Well, they're both very conservative. They're very buttoned up. Yeah. But they're ready to rip their clothes off. Second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that, I don't, is that why it's so hot? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't to. find it forced at all. The two of them seem like a match made in heaven. It's forbidden love. Oh. It's getting hot under this corset. <laughs> why are you wearing a corset? <laughs> what I do in the privacy of my own home. <laughs> it's great for his back. You so know. That's another thing we'll be looking for. <laughs> a guy in a corset. <laughs> Uh, I got feedback from Will. <laughs> hey guys, I've been sick on and off for about a week now, so that uh-huh. may have affected my opinion of this episode. But you know, it wasn't my favorite. It was all right. Um, let's see if I can find my notes on my phone. Oh, here are my notes from Deep Water. You want to hear those again? <laughs> so, yes, government comes to Deadwood or some organization or whatever. I want to keep those territorial cocksuckers away, but it's all temporary and ad hoc. I love the temporary ad hoc stuff. And they had peaches to the peaches at their meetings. It's nice. Okay, you talked about that and... Seth wants to provide services if he's health commissioner. It was cool how um, Sol was... Um, God, I can't think. It was cool how he seems to like Trixie. God, I can't think of anybody's name. And it was 
nice to see Joni trying to strike off on her own, Silas being a dick, as of course. Um, now apologizing to Trixie while he was pinned in the corner was gross, but yeah, I guess he does have a little heart. You know, and Jane was terrific. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. Maybe the favorite. can't remember. But yeah, it was an okay episode, but government coming to Deadwood, even though they don't want it, it's almost like using some form of contraception, like a, a condom, as Claire might say, even though you may not want to use it, but you got it to. It's important to protect yourself, keep the babies away. I'm out, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> keep them babies away. Keep them away. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. There was, like, no disturb- disturbing truth bomb about Will's life in this one. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's okay. He was sick. He was yeah. sick. Yeah. yeah. Poor Will. I hope you feel better, Will. I hope it's not smallpox, Will. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Or anything else. Hope your flesh isn't rotting, Will. Go out into the bracing air. <laughs> I hope it wasn't the peaches. Oh, you yes. fell from them canned peaches. <laughs> uh, I didn't go through my extensive notes from the stories of the Black Hills uh, this week. I forgot to do that. Except I do have one, and I want to read it to you now. A miner of the time, Harry Williams, reported, We have no municipal government at all. Every man thinks he's mayor of the town. Every once in a while, the boys call a mass meeting, draw up resolutions, and decide to incorporate the town and have a board of aldermen. But by the end of the week, nobody knows what's become of the resolutions or the aldermen. We start a new city government every two weeks and bust one every week if there is any. Nice. All mm. the governments, ad hoc. Ad hoc. Ad hoc. Temporary. Pretty fucking Well, thank you for the feedback, Stephanie, Will, Harold, and Nutty. Yay. We love feedback. Yeah. yeah. Alright, let's rate this thing. As oh, the guest, the guest gets to go first. Okay, so I think my rating is slightly boosted, uh, thanks to my rating system. But I am going to give it seven grave robberies out of ten by Doc. <laughs> oh my. Nice. I like how you think. Carol? Yeah, I, you know, I realize why I'm having trouble rating these episodes because they just, you know, they're so continuous that I just feel like I'm rating a chapter of a book or something, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, how do you rate a chapter of a book? Um, yeah. I, I agree. There, there was, this was like a conduit episode seemed like, you know, something happened here and something will happen next week and, and, Right in the middle, we're just kind of uh, connecting them. Um, I'll go with seven out of ten angry townspeople. Everybody was angry. <laughs> Swearigen and Doc and and um, Jane, Jane and, and Eddie and Sai and Joni. Yeah, everybody was angry. Should have been twelve angry men. <laughs> Instead of other sons and daughters. Matt, what did, how about the rating from you? I have no idea why, but I really liked this episode. I had a good time. Oh, good. I can't explain why I liked it more than other ones exactly. It was very funny. There's a lot, like, mm-hmm. I have, like, an all caps. I have too many quotes. 
That's one of my notes. Uh, yeah, it was just, just fun, fun episode to watch. Um, nine point five out of ten. Shiny new peonies. Peonies. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're all really enjoyable. Yeah. For different mm. reasons, you know. I mean, I'm saying seven, but I mean, I, I like. I enjoyed the episode. I'm looking forward to seeing the next one. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's the same for me. I feel like I rate them the same every time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like they're all, all just. They're all good. And and as I've said before, I kind of debated whether or not to have a rating thing at the end of uh, our recordings because they do feel just like chapters in a book. Yeah. And they're not being standalones or even. You know, like the X-Files where there are mythology episodes, but you could compare them pretty easily to other ones. It's so continuous that it's difficult to, to rate them, but it's a good opportunity for everyone to kind of summarize how they felt. And it's sort of tradition in this format and, of podcasts. So it's fun to come up with uh, a rating and, system. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why, my favorite that's part is the it. rating system. <laughs> don't, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Having said that, Mel, what's your rating? <laughs> oh, the pressure's on now. <laughs> two out of uh-huh. two. Two out of two. No, <laughs> no, I like this episode fine. Um, I would give it an eight out of ten. Uh, bowls of peaches and pears, ad hoc, free fucking gratis. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love your delivery on that. <laughs> you sounded just as like. I don't know, rushed and, and, and done with it as Al did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to rate this one low because it's probably my least favorite of the season. I do feel like not enough happened. Though I did like the meeting. The big meeting of the, of the episode was hilarious. EB becoming mayor, hilarious. Charlie... Mm-hmm. Meeting Joni, very good stuff. I like to see beginnings of friendships. Annexation stuff, kind of dry, but that's the history part of the show. Was going to rate this inconvenient piano deliveries, but Matt kind of stole my thunder. So I'm going to, I'll give this one six and a half out of ten, uh, unresolved sexual tension. Ooh. Unresolved forced sexual tension? No, just unresolved, (laughs) unresolved. UST, unresolved sexual tension. UST. Oh. UST. Isn't that what it is? UST? Isn't that the... So close to... It's so close to STDs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one can sometimes lead to another. That's true. You could combine them. I got the STD for my UST. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at that point, it would be... The RSC at that point. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to tvtropes.org, you'll find unresolved sexual tension as a category. Two people obviously attracted to each other, but some element of the story is keeping them apart. Oh, how dare the story. Oh, my UST became RST and then I got an STD. This is funny. Not to be confused <laughs> with the University of Santo Thomas in the Philippines. <laughs> or the University of St. Thomas in Missouri, Texas, or Minnesota. Aww. Or That's the so infamous Universidad Santo Tomas in Chile. How is that infamous? I don't know. This is very strange. Why would I confuse these, this term with those institutions? 
They're anyway. infamous for their sexual, sexually frustrated students. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're also wearing corsets, and it's going to be Nutty, would you like to nominate your character of the week? Oh, my character of the week. I forgot about that. Um, too. I'm going to give it to Charlie because he was so dang cute. Okay. He has a nice coat. He started a business. Good for Charlie. I like his coat. Yeah. It's a nice brown coat. <laughs> He's meeting everybody. Yes. Yeah. Um, who? This, that's hard because everybody just got little bits, you know? Uh, nobody really got a standout thing. I'm going to go with Jane. Okay. Just because. We may never see her again. She can hold up a wall well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's just such a mess. <laughs> she really is. This episode, she was just such a mess. And, and, you know, her, here she was, her rants. I mean, that was tough stuff to do to make those rants come out right. And, uh, because a lot of them hardly made sense if you just read the words. And she made them make sense. So I'll go with Jane, even though it, you know, pick somebody. I mean, Ellsworth and Charlie were both really good. So. Okay. Matt? Uh, I'm going to give it to Johnny for being an up-and-comer. <laughs> that's my choice, too. Oh, good. He's got good thinking and initiative. <laughs> uh, good. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Al, because I thought he, yeah. uh, once again, he was the mover and shaker of the town, forming a government. He was. And I just liked all of his kind of like huffy scenes and uh, I'm taking that coffee. Your coffee's gross. Goodbye, coffee. (laughs) (laughs) He was very funny. He was funny and kind of sweet with Trixie. You ever see a man say goodbye to a coffee? (laughs) (laughs) So Al, I'm giving it to Al. So Uh, quotes. Guess right. Say the guest goes first. Nutty, give us a quote. All right. I'm going to start with this one since I already said the wall one. Hey, Al, uh, any reason I can't share with Dan the uh, proceedings of the talk me and you just had about uh, taking over Persimmon Phil? Yeah, keep Dan in the dark. (laughs) Hey, Johnny, Dan, what's new? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's have Mel go next since she likes quotes. You called me by my right name. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't. I just said Mel. That's true. That is. Oh, that's true. You got away with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so lost. (laughs) He called me Melody last episode. (laughs) Oh, that's right. And I think the time before too. (laughs) Did you? Maybe. What? I should shut up. Is Melody like your alternate persona? Like Gabby has Debbie? <laughs> Actually, Gabby has Debbie? Oh, yeah. Yes. Bad mood. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> hmm. Anyways, all right. I'll go for uh, a quote. Um, maybe or two. Um. <laughs> Al, I have hoped for this conversation ever <laughs> since you gave me that Indian head to hide. And then later, Dan, how to go with Johnny? I have just fled my own office in horror at his fucking dim-wittedness. <laughs> oh, delightful. I just... Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Matt. Matt. Young lady, anything to report with your privates? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You just, you know how I said, like, I wanted Brad Durf to be my doctor while we were watching the episode? Now I don't want to anymore. (laughs) Can can we get awkward Wilson Fisk reading that line? Because I think that would be perfect. Just to do a nice crossover between your podcasts there. It's basically the same, isn't it? <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do two because these are back to back Jane quotes. I see your fucking eyes are still playing tug of war. <laughs> She's so awesome. What? Is that your clever way of saying you smell whiskey on my breath? If either of your fucking eyes takes me for hide and I'm drinking again occasionally, it's sadly mistaken, so desist from any clever odor references. <laughs> Oh, hello, Jane. He is so messed up. (laughs) Uh, Any other quotes? Did Carol say one? How about this one? You could use a rest. I could use a clean conscience. So could we all. Yep. I've got. I've got a few. (laughs) Okay. Um. So what did I want to do? So. I'd just say thank you for the nomination and leave it at that. Seth, doctors open bodies all the time for study. Even more reason not to say I was arrested for grave robbing seven times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do a Tom Nuttall quote. If I'm excluded, say so, Al. Don't leave me to die the death of a thousand cuts. Don't subject (laughs) me to death by water torture. (laughs) Isn't that responded with, just shut the fuck up and sit down? Uh, it says something like, toss away whatever book you're reading about the yellow peril and sit down. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you guys have any others? Us! You and me! Come to me in a vision, you stupid bastard! <laughs> Mel, you should just always do Al's lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I like being angry. <laughs> <laughs> we we like her when she's angry. Do we? Not always. <laughs> I don't. Here's a Jane quote to Charlie. Congratulations on being a big fucking deal. I got I got I got an, a Jane one also. So you and everyone else, past, present, and future, can drink mayor's piss. I think I'll stick to the well water. <laughs> oh, I love you, Jane. I'm heading for the gym. Well, hooray for you! <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else felled from them camp beaches? <laughs> no one croaked today. <laughs> this is God's purpose, but not knowing the purpose is my portion of suffering. <laughs> if this is his will, he's a son bitch. Son bitch. My God, that just reminded me of Carnival. <laughs> Some bitch. Some bitch. <laughs> well, if there are no more quotes, next episode, episode ten, Mister Wu. Hmm. Don't like these episode titles. Why? Because Ooh. it doesn't really allow me to be creative. <laughs> really, with Mister Wu, you can't be creative. He's gonna write his. Well, it's just so plain and so out there. Like well, it's gonna be about Mr. Wu. Yeah, these the titles get better in the next two seasons. Good. Think good, about good. what you know of Mr. Wu. Mm-hmm. 
Not much. Elaborate. He's a mysterious man. He likes to stare. He has an at army you. of pigs. He likes to stare. Ooh. He likes <laughs> to stare. I like that. He likes to stare at women. Maybe he's going to get his army of pigs to stare at women with him. <laughs> stare harder, pigs. <laughs> thing is, what are we going to find out about Mr. Wu? Maybe next episode you'll see one of the pigs wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he sh- maybe he chows down on the people along with his pigs. Oh, maybe no. maybe he's a Hannibal. Do- will we get to see him cook? We get to I see so. Mr. Wu's food porn. <laughs> yes, I'm excited. So it's going to be a cooking show next. Time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Carol, any predictions? Um, I think Mr. Wu is going to be the Elsewhereigen. Of the Chinese part of town. Totally. Oh. Mm-hmm. I like that prediction. Spend some time in Chinatown. Yeah, Al already said that uh, Wu is, is opening up a joint for him. Didn't he say that? Or did he say somebody else was planning uh, that? Size, Sai, yeah, Sai's building something was, in Chinatown. Was, was okay. building something down in Chinatown. Um, and Wu tells him, forget it, Sai. It's Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gives up on his dreams. And I'm trying to think, what else? What what would be cool to find out about Wu? I I think we're going to find out that he's got all kinds of stuff going on that all these people that we've been following know nothing about. Yep. And there's there's like a whole, you know, he's a real mover and a shaker. But he's much smarter than people give him credit for. Yeah, well, I don't think they give him credit for anything whatsoever. But, uh, that, you know, he's got a whole, whole thing going on that none of these guys have any clue even exists. He is the true mayor of the town. Yeah, he's putting pigs in dresses and, uh, having <laughs> he's a He's got cook- an army of pigs. The, the head pig is wearing a dress. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. He's training them. He's, he's training them. Does anyone want to offer a body count prediction? Well, can can I give a prediction since you I'm a newbie? You certainly can. Okay, so um, I totally think that uh, it's going to be all about Mr. Wu. It's going to be a lot about the pigs. Um, and I'd like to see a nice dispute about body disposal. We've had some foreshadowing that maybe maybe Al is uh, paying too much. Um, but I think it would be a lot of fun. Or that... I would like to see, like, Mr. was like, you know what? I'm not cleaning up your mess anymore. You guys are being obnoxious, and my pigs are starting to get sick. I don't know. Stop. Hmm. Stop it. So that would be fun. That's my prediction. How many people? How many people die? Hmm. Well, nobody died this this episode. I think there's going to be three people die next episode. Oh, that was my number two. Okay. Nutty and Matt say three. Mel says, "Uh, poof, poof isn't a number." Sounds like zero. Murph. Sounds like one. Let's I don't know that number. <laughs> Just making noise. Carol, how many people are gonna die in next episode? <laughs> Well, since it's Mr. Wu, part of me wants to go really high, but I'll just go with two. Okay. Nobody's dying from the plague right now. It's over. It's over, pretty much. 
So how many people? One. Okay. One. Okay. It's done. It's written in pen on a post-it note, ah! and it can't be erased. Locked no! in. No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting it in a lockbox. Like, I'm wrapping chains around it, and then I'm taking it out on a boat and dropping it to the bottom of the ocean. Oh. And he's got those accountants that do the Emmy Awards, <laughs> yeah. tallying everything. Wow. Uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers? <laughs> yes, yeah, them. <laughs> I they, love that they, you know they their do, name. They do, they do two things. They do the Oscars, and they do Cast, And it's all they <laughs> do. <laughs> Very important people, man. Yep. Nutty, thank you for joining us this episode. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Do you have any podcasts or projects on the internet that you would like to plug? Me? Podcasts? No. What? Um, Actually, yes. <laughs> uh, there is the Nutty Bites podcast, which you can find at nimlas.org, where we debate geeky topics like who's, what's your favorite zombie, favorite vampires, who's the most ineffectual sci-fi character, things of that nature, best lame superpowers. And... um. Currently, I am doing Game of Thrones, uh, Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast with Specfic Media. You can find that at specficmedia.com, or you can just go to nimlast.org and find links to everything that I do, and you can stalk me like crazy, just like Matt does. Yay, what? No. Maybe? <laughs> sort of? <laughs> Matt makes the most funniest business plans uh, Wednesday nights when we do our Game of Thrones podcast live on YouTube. I'm an enterprising young fellow. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think Westeros um, needs a chamber of commerce, and mm-hmm. I think I could uh, head that. And I think you yeah, could, and you were uh, going to run a sanatorium for them, and you for the nobles, mm-hmm. and uh, you were going to be the Maury Povich. Oh yeah, yeah. paternity yeah. clinics. Yeah. Anyone else have anything new or exciting? Same stuff. Defenders podcast. What we make in Twin Peaks podcast. <laughs> McKinley cast. That's yeah. it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yep. Shit. I'm trying to think, have I been on anything? No, I don't think so. Weren't you on X Files recently, or you already pimped that? I think I did last time. I was on the Monday episode. And like I said, he's constantly throwing funny one-liners at us on Wednesday nights. Yeah, if you like Game of Thrones, you should listen to uh, Beyond the Wall. They do have a really good discussion, and since one of the hosts is a non-book reader, he's kind of a newbie. So it's Kind of like this format, an intro cast, sort of. Well, and we're at the point where Viv is pretty much a newbie, too, because she hasn't read the last book, and they're really far into the books now. Yeah, or going so off book that... Yes. It's a great discussion. I highly... I'm sure there's a lot of good Game of Thrones podcasts, but this one's... This is the one that I recommend. (laughs) So... (laughs) Spoiler-free since 2011. There you go. Well, you can find us, as always, on hoopalcast.com. That's where we put the archived episodes, show notes, links to discussion threads. Send feedback to hoopalcast at gmail.com. Go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, I should do that. You should. Everyone should. should. Yeah. Yeah. Should I do it for ourselves? Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. That doesn't seem necessary. But tell a friend to do it. Um. Yeah. Nah, my friends don't give a shit. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your friends. <laughs> Damn. Alright, uh, that's it. Goodbye. See you in two weeks Bye. from Mr. Wu. Bye, everybody. Bye. Fuck you. <laughs> You're in a rush. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Running past. Ad hoc free gratis. Fuck you.
back to the Black Hills, the Black Hills of Dakota, to the beautiful Indian country that I love. Lost my heart in the Black Hills, the Black Hills of Where the pines are so high that they kiss the sky above And when I get that lonesome feeling And I'm miles away from home I hear the voice of the mystic mountains Calling me back It's August on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in western South Dakota, and the annual powwow is in full swing. The celebration is a highlight for the Oglala Sioux Tribe, bringing together thousands of Native Americans to sing, dance, and honor their traditional culture. Tonight's good cheer, however, is in stark contrast to everyday life in one of the most difficult places to live in the United States. Few people in the Western Hemisphere have shorter life expectancies. Males, on average, live to just 48 years old, females to 52. Almost half of all people above the age of 40 have diabetes, and the economic realities are even worse. Unemployment rates are consistently above 80%. In Shannon County, inside the Pine Ridge Reservation, half the children live in poverty, and the average income is $8,000 a year. But there are funds available, a federal pot now worth more than a billion dollars. That sits here in the U.S. Treasury Department, waiting to be collected by nine Sioux tribes. The money stems from a 1980 Supreme Court ruling that set aside $105 million to compensate the Sioux for the taking of the Black Hills in 1877. There, an isolated mountain range rich in minerals that stretch from South Dakota to Wyoming. The only problem, the Sioux never wanted the money because the land was never for sale. The Black Hills are very important to the Sioux uh, Indian tribes because they are the spiritual center of Sioux people. For tribal attorney Mario Gonzalez, the compensation fund is the embodiment of Indian mistreatment by the U.S. government, and the taking of the Black Hills was the gravest sin of all. The Sioux tribes have always maintained that that confiscation is illegal and that the tribes must uh, have some of their ancestral lands returned to them. Compared to the natural resource-rich Black Hills, the reservations the Sioux were relegated to are mostly dry, desolate landscapes. Shannon County has one of the lowest per capita incomes in the United States. At one time, the Sioux Indians were a wealthy people, and they had you know, a place here that satisfied all their needs. The land dispute dates back to 1868, when the U.S. signed a treaty at Fort Laramie that set aside the Black Hills as part of the Great Sioux Reservation. But when gold was discovered in the hills a few years later, the floodgates opened and Western pioneers poured in and the Fort Laramie Treaty was broken. The tribes are are trying to be realistic. When the Sioux tribes are asking that all the federal lands be returned to them, that does not include Mount Rushmore, uh, post offices, or any property that 
is being used by the government um, for governmental purposes. And what Gonzalez and the Sioux are asking for does have precedent. President Nixon returned nearly 50,000 acres of federal lands in the Carson National Forest in New Mexico to the Taos Pueblo tribe in 1970. And although recent polls show the younger generation of the Sioux more willing to accept the Black Hills money, some of the poorest people in the country have thus far remained steadfast in their opposition to taking it. We accept the money, then we don't have the treaty obligations that the federal government has with us for taking our land, for taking our gold, all our resources out of the, the Black Hills. Sioux leaders say they will take up the Black Hills issue again at tribal meetings in the coming months. So take me back to the Black Hills, the Black Hills of Dakota, to the beautiful Indian country that I love. To the beautiful Indian country that I love. Take me back to the Black Hills, to the beautiful Indian country that I The Phoenix Comic Con was this weekend, and I could have gone. I was tempted to go. Jim Beaver was there. I was going to sign up for an autograph thing, but then said, saying, um, hey, could you record a, hi, this is Jim Beaver. I played Ellsworth on Deadwood, and you're listening to Hooplecast. You would have loved that. <laughs> but so, I was, I don't, I don't go to cons. I'm, I don't know. They make, me a little, they make me nervous. I've- Had I known, I would have sent you to my friend uh, Scott Sigler, and uh, he would have made you feel completely at ease. Because he's, he's your, insane. He's your friend? Oh. Yeah. I've read his books. Cool. <laughs> I've I've wondered if, uh, you know, Jim Beaver's on Facebook, and he's he's fairly accessible. And uh, I've thought about saying, hey, ever thought of coming on an intro cast? Yeah, do it. Well, we could ask him. I'm a little... <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? What the worst that could happen is that he listens to us trash his best friend Timothy Oliphant. Oh. That's true. That's true. Oh, yes, I stand up for him. You mean listens to you trash? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. Some of the rest of us like Timothy Oliphant. I like him too. Well, I think it'd be very funny for him to be there for a segment of Timothy Oliphant. Good actor <laughs> or bad actor? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I'm thinking you'd have to do a special episode where it's not three hour recording. Yeah, I probably should have gone yesterday. Anyway, okay. No All right, moving on. Let's get back into it. Timothy Oliphant can wear a suit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can't act, but he can wear a suit. No, I'm just oh, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I kidding. was going to say, hear that, Jim Beaver. We're no. complimenting him, and then you have to go and do that. <laughs> I like him. I think he does a good job. Uh, <laughs> We've got his character. I mean, his character yes. is so clear. Yeah. And that's the whole point. I take it all back. I was wrong. Good. <laughs> I don't think that kid's cute. Am I alone? <laughs> oh, Sophia? She's cute enough. She's yeah. cute. I don't know. Why, what do you think's wrong with her? Maybe it's just because she's mute, so she's creeping me out. She's yeah. kind of mute. I don't think she's cute. 
You don't think she's cute? No, I don't think she's cute. Yeah. I think she's fine. Yeah. Yeah, she's I, cute enough. She's kid cute. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's okay, but, you know, I mean... I mean, she's no Curly Sue, but, I mean, she's kid <laughs> cute. Curly Sue? Where the hell <laughs> that come <so> from? <laughs> <laughs> that shows my age. <laughs> curly Sue. That's she's adorable. Ridiculous. I mean, she's okay, but... You know, she's... But she's no curly suit. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean about her not being... Why why are we judging her looks? She's a child. She's, she's a child. We shouldn't be judging her looks. True. <laughs> Let's True. not place unrealistic standards on this poor child. She is not a Disney cartoon. <laughs> she's wearing, she's, okay. She's wearing an First awesome of all, thing. cuteness has nothing to do with looks. Hmm. True. It could be... I mean, there's some... Truly not attractive children out there who are cute as can be. Wow. Well, that's true. <laughs> but you're right. That's what I'm talking about. She like she's like half the time she just stares blankly like a yeah some she, sort of specter. she smiles. <laughs> she yeah, just she saw her family get killed. I guess. And I half guess. of them were like right? being eaten by wolves. What do you expect? <laughs> and she got not on too. And she nearly died like twice. This is true. And her hair is weird. And her hair is weird. <laughs> it's not her fault, man. No, it's not her fault. And I'm, I, she, you she know, smiles. I, I, nothing against her, but you know, she's not. You know, well, she's not gonna fact, take. We better not strike another one off the podcast guest list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever she's the hell her name is. On the podcast anytime. <laughs> I'll vouch for you, <laughs> little Crevlord Swath. <laughs> <laughs> she's. You know, she's not in danger of taking over the show. Yeah. No. Well, you guys all thought she'd be dead by now. Yeah, we did. I thought she'd be gone. She's turning into this show's happen. Urkel. But, you know, <laughs> now that she's... <laughs> Next, she's going to be jumping into her, like, thing that changes, changes her into Bruce Lee. Oh, my God! <laughs> Stefan. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> She, and then she'll become cute because yeah. she'll be all suave. She'll be jetpacking out of here. <laughs> it's been raining on and off here all day. Uh, it's not really that hot. It's just if the air gets real still, it's very clammy. Mm -hmm. you know? You're in Jersey, right, Carol? Uh-huh. Yeah. My mom sent pictures from her Judy Shashron. She's in New York, and uh, she said it was just like running through soup today. It's not all that hot. I don't know what the temperature is. But there's just so much water in the air that, you know, and at school during the week, it, it got really hot in a lot of the classrooms. And it's like any time I put my hand down on a, on a paper on a desk, when I pick it up, the paper is stuck to my arm and stuff. It's, mm -hmm. gross. it's gross. I don't know if it would have been horseshit, but oops, didn't mean to say that. Do you want me to edit that? I'll edit that out. <laughs> I'm scandalized. <laughs> Cover your ears. How dare you? <laughs> Ow, my freaking ears! <laughs> that was someone else that said that. That wasn't me. No, it wasn't. That me. was me. That was totally. You can't tell the difference. No. Oh, I don't know. I'm I so mean, insulted. I don't think we sound alike at all. Myself. I know. But, you know. They they just think those of us from the tri-state area all sound alike, you know? <laughs> Jersey, Jersey girls. I've heard of Jersey boys. Come see Jersey girls. I am not a Jersey girl. I'm not a Jersey girl. I'm from New York. We just happen to be from the tri-state area. And you There's do realize that that whole Jersey thing is pronunciation from, like, New York of New Jersey. I State, don't New know York. that. <laughs> and I thought the tri-state area was Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana. 
<laughs> no, it's New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. If you say so. Yeah. Unless you're around Philadelphia, and then it's Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, <laughs> and Delaware. There's probably a bunch of tri-state areas. <laughs> yeah, but it only counts in New York, so. Yeah. <laughs> to be the true New Yorker, it only counts in New York. <laughs> yeah. Where in New oh. York are you from? I'm from Long Island. Oh, okay. Make you jokes. Go ahead. <laughs> I would if I knew I, any. I don't make, I don't you guys, you guys got good iced tea. <laughs> we do, we do, and I grew up um maybe a ten fifteen minute drive from where that was invented. Um, that was invented at the Oak Beach and the OBI, which has uh got a horrible reputation. It is gone now, but all through my childhood, he would splatter the entire neighborhood with leaflets of move out of New York State before it's too late. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Anyway, this isn't New Yorker cast, but uh, yeah, the Jersey Shore <laughs> accent that everybody talks about, it's really from like lower upstate New Yorkers who are trying to be all, yo, I know what I'm talking about, or yeah. from Nassau County, which New is... New Jersey has its own accent, but that isn't it. Yeah. <laughs> and, that... and all those people on that show aren't from Jersey. Oh, no, no. I'm at a website that says, you know you are a Long Islander when, and I don't get any of these references. <laughs> Okay, tell me. Uh, tell you know me. you're a Long Islander when everyone seems to be on the LIE at 2 a.m. <laughs> when you've been to Billy right. Joe's bicycle shop, true that. No, I haven't been to Billy Joel's bicycle shop, but we all are fans of Billy Joel. You get more Billy of a Joel. fan of Billy Joel as soon as you leave New York. You leave New York, suddenly it's like, no, he's the greatest. Why does he have a bicycle shop? <laughs> because he, he he's... I don't know. He's very active in local yeah. politics and economy. You know that you're a Long Islander when you've had a school trip to the old Bethpage Village Restoration. <laughs> yes, unless you were in a school that d the teachers didn't have a contract, which meant you'd had no field trips for almost the entirety of your school career, and they only got their contract when you were a senior. <laughs> when oh, you've been to a, sounds... at least one bar or bat mitzvah. Well, I guess I'm from Long Island then. That's weird. Yeah, what does that have to do with anything? That's, this is a racist I mean, list. Better include New Jersey on that one. Yeah, seriously. Goodbye, list. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a horrible list. Let's get back to the episode. The list, the list the first of the internet. And then you say our podcasts go long. You know that you're from Long Island when you've been on the drunk train on the Long Island Railroad, a.k.a. the Lure. Um, you know you're from Long Island when you know exactly where to get the best bagels. You know you're from Long Island when... Uh, you can argue whether or, uh, Fire Island and South Shore beaches are better than North Shore beaches, which South Shore is clearly better. It's clearly. Clearly. So there we go. Yeah, the one for New Jersey is, is pretty good, but it, there's such a huge difference between South Jersey and North Jersey. Yep. Um, the, a lot of the questions are, you know, either for one or the other. So. So back to Deadwood. Back to Deadwood. We're we're up to the second scene. Yes. <laughs> Reading a list of things you don't know about Long Island unless you're from there. So your confusion makes sense. <laughs> no, I got it. I understood <laughs> I understood what was happening. I just didn't understand the references. Which is fine because I'm not from Long Island. Speaking of drinking, you're basically legally required to do it on the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> And the beer tap setups at Penn are actually dope these days, as long as you consider getting a 64-ounce 
8% ABV beer for $8. Totally dope. <laughs> um, this is making me miss home. <laughs> Brooklyn and Queens are both on Long Island, but in all the ways that matter, they totally aren't. So this is true. <laughs> so true. Uh, I love I love every now and then Carol's like, yep, yep, I get <laughs> that. Like, it's like, we're very confused. <laughs> <laughs> New Jersey is on the other side of, I'm from northern Jersey. I'm from yep. about 20 miles outside of New York City. So we're like on the other side of New York, of Manhattan, from Long Island. So, and I've been spent, I spent, oh, at least three days a week, most of my life in Manhattan and the boroughs and stuff. So when it kind of, and I've had friends from Long Island and everything, but actually I had a, a, a roommate in college who was an Egyptian girl who lived in Long Island and she'd learned her English in Long Island. So she had an Egyptian accent, but when you asked her where she was from, she would say, I am from Long Island. Right. All right. So last one before we get back, uh, Watson and Crick invented goddamn DNA at the Cold Spring Harbor Labs. Invented it. <laughs> invented it. Or discovered it, but yeah. This is cool. Yeah. <sighs> invented DNA. Yeah. Well, let's not talk about the other. Invented DNA. Yeah, totally invented it. I just didn't Dog. think about I just didn't think about the big shot part so much. Yeah. You know, make them feel like they're important. By my the way, favorite. now I have a uh Billy Joel song in my head. Thanks a lot. Why? Big shot. You thought you oh. were happy. <laughs> 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 uh, sure. Do you, do you sing that when you go by his bicycle shop? <laughs> that's going that's going to be the uh the end song uh for the podcast, right, Maddie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be like, why is he playing Billy Joel? And all the New Yorkers are gonna be like, yeah, Billy Joel, man! You're so ambitious for a juvenile But then if you're so smart Tell me why are you still so afraid mm-hmm. Where's the fire, what's the hurry about You better cool it off before you burn it out You got so much to do And only so many hours in a day hey, hey, hey. But you know that when the truth is Told that you can get what you want or you can just get old You're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through Ooh, and will you realize Vienna waits for you Slow down, you're doing fine can't be everything you wanna be before your time Although it's so romantic on the borderline Tonight, tonight Too bad, but it's the life you lead You're so ahead of yourself that you forgot what you need Though you could see when you're wrong You know you can't always see when you're right You're right You got your passion, you got your pride Satisfied Dream on 
But don't imagine they'll all come true Ooh, when will you realize Vienna waits for you child and take the phone off the hook and disappear for a while it's all right you can't afford to lose a day or two Ooh, when will you realize being away You can get what you want Or you can just get old You're gonna kick off Before you even get halfway through Ooh, why don't you realize Vienna waits for you When will you realize Vienna waits for you Taking that coffee? Your coffee's gross. Goodbye, coffee. You stupid bastard!